Welcome to episode 207 of the Overlook Hour. I am your host, Clark Little. Along with me, as always, is not Randy Michael Stant. He is in the East Bay. He is probably asleep as it is 7.51 Pacific Standard Time and he likes to get 12 hours of sleep every night. Joining me instead, recording this lovely intro and recorded this lovely interview which we have for you today is Russell John Fisher. The first. God, that's the one thing you don't have is timing on anything. (laughs) Sound cues, (laughs) jokes, just in the middle of a sentence. I was prepared for that one. <laughs> and always joining us in these intros is Oksana Valeria Navanaba Osachi. Hi. Oksana, how are we doing today in this heat? Apparently there's a wildfire that we can't tell, but we can smell it. Yeah, it smells like someone's burning a lot of uh, wood somewhere. It's very smoky. <laughs> Something's in my eye. Don't talk about the fire. We already have a disaster opening up this episode. That is true. The fire's next week. Could you imagine the fire with this? I do, the no, disaster yeah, and we're we in the middle of it. Damn. Randy, cut all this out so that we can <laughs> do it next week. What? No, don't do. Don't listen to him. All right, joining us this week um, is Antoine Lay. Antoine is a film director. That's why he's on the show because that's who we interview. <laughs> he directed a film called Followed. You may remember this movie as we showed this in the Unnamed Footage Festival Part Two. Um, this was a, a movie that killed at the festival. We knew that it was when we were vetting movies and, and we came across this movie. We knew that it was perfect for a festival and uh, we were right And Antoine. And then we also had uh, Matthew Brubaker, one of the producers, came out. Uh, Matthew Solomon, uh, one of the actors, the actresses came out. Um, we had a great crew that come. Yes. I've, I wanted to tell Antoine that one of the audience members came up to me after meeting Matthew and they were just like, Dude, I feel like I met a celebrity. Yeah. It, it, it killed at our fest. Yeah, so uh, we were uh, super excited that we were able to touch, ba- touch back with Antoine because um, it's been a couple of years since we've shown this movie, and they, you know, uh, they shot this in 2016, so this has been a, a long project for them, and uh, it's kind of finally coming to fruition, and Antoine uh, breaks down the whole... Um, really non-traditional uh, path of this movie that is taken as it sort of uh, went through the um, drive-in circuit this year and was actually the number one grossing movie in America. <laughs> so it's uh, it's really taken a great journey and uh, you everyone here will be able to watch it on September 1st as it hits VOD. Uh, so please do that. Mark your calendars, set a Google alert, tell Siri, tell Alexa, tell the other knockoff one that I can't remember their name. September 1st, followed, do it. But before we've got all that, Oksana Osachi is going to tell us about some more movies that we can watch during this time of quarantine. (laughs) Well, speaking of film festivals, uh, the day this episode airs is opening night of Fantasia. Yay! Hey now. Um, It's entirely virtual. It's going to be running from August 20th to September 2nd. And you can buy tickets. You can can watch... um, They'll have individual ticket sales at FantasiaFestival.com. They come out to about six bucks a movie, but they will be limited to theater capacity. And Fantasia is like one of the biggest festivals, I think. Um, in- now, hold, hold on. In the episode, we talk about this, and I wasn't sure that if you live in America or not Canada, if you can buy them. I know if you have a VPN, it wouldn't fucking matter, but I think you have to be 
engineer Randy here, uh, reporting to say that Fantasia Festival is indeed geolocked. Yeah, anyway, the tickets are going to be limited. Don't get your fucking hopes up. <laughs> <laughs> they went on sale on the 10th, but... Um, so you're going to start seeing a lot of reviews for Fantasia movies coming up soon. Um, the next day, we're going to have a new addition to the horror western subgenre from RLJE Films, who were responsible for Spree that came out last week. Um, they're going to be putting out The Pale Door, which is directed by Aaron Kuntz, who was also a director and producer on Camera Obscura and The Scare Package, which is on Shudder. Um, I don't suggest watching the trailer. It gives away just about everything. Um, but that's going to be available on VOD on Friday the 21st. For any questions, queries, concerns, or comments, please direct those to podcast at overlooktheater.com. Stitcher, Google Play, iTunes, the other one. Find us, like us, comment, tell a friend, tell an enemy. It's not any of my business what you do on your own personal time. The Overlook Hours available on Facebook is The Overlook Hour. The Overlook Hours available on Instagram is The Overlook Theater. The Overlook Hours available on Twitter is The Overlook Hour. Find us, like us, comment, tell a friend, tell an enemy. Randy's not here, Russell. <laughs> yeah, really, interact. Go on Instagram, comment, or do stuff. Y'all still DM or text me. Stop. Do not DM me. Do, do it in a public uh, platform. The only people that DM me are all the thirsty ladies yeah. out there. <laughs> And with that, we're gonna throw it to what Russell's gonna refer to as the rest of in the rest of time is Creepy Clark, <laughs> with our new edition of Two Sentence Horror Story. Have fun, lollipops. So we're canceling this bit now, right? <laughs> no. <laughs> Thank you, listener Sam, for that <sighs> interesting <laughs> two-sentence horror story. Nobody's going to be able to unpack it on the first try. They're going to have to go back and... <laughs> <laughs> no, I love it. Let's keep it going. I told you, it was. you should have blamed a character. That was my idea. The Blame character. a character. It wasn't Clark Little. The it was, character's coming. It was creepy Clark. We let him out of the closet. He told us this weird shit we put him back in there you know what you know what i i immediately thought of it and then i immediately thought how be a, it'd be a bit terrible idea <laughs> this is a hundred percent a coot thing oh yeah oh <laughs> yeah sure. i went on that journey with you we should we should uh we should throw this to coot and i was like it would never happen in 100 million yeah <laughs> voicemail or something yeah. like right off the bat yeah and then the two <clears throat> sentences were turned into two paragraphs <laughs> All right. Are we going to tell the real horror story now? Oh my god. All right. So, here's here's what happened. Wait, let's kick it off with Randy first because he he had his own and then we can one up his. What you Oh, Randy. Okay. Yeah, yeah. All right. So, Randy, explain explain your weekend and the the troubles that nature brought you. Uh, considering mine wasn't that bad, but um due to things we will discuss shortly, I had a Sunday off and it was very hot. <laughs> and uh humid and kind of muggy but we also had thunderstorms um so it's been kind of like 
southern weather in California, which is very weird for us. Hey, or Q Freebird. Q Freebird? <laughs> no, we're going to get demonetized. But uh, yeah, around like 9 or 10 a.m., I think, I was just like watching movies on my couch with the fan on. And there was a, uh, a very bright and very loud strike of lightning and thunder that I think was like right outside my house. And I immediately lost power. Um, and yeah, that was uh, kind of crazy. Uh, well, it was weird because I only lost power in half of my house. Um, so my like TV and my router went off, the fridge went off, but I still had power in my room. Um, so I just had to reset our breaker and everything was okay. But yeah, it was, uh, it was quite weird. I don't know. It's you been... just had to be an adult. <laughs> yeah. That is not the impression I got from the story I heard. I heard it was just Randy stranded in the East Bay and there's no power. Well, I thought for a minute that I just straight up lost power because straight sure. up, it looked like lightning struck right outside my house. And then everything that I was using at the time went off. But then I like went around my house just to like check. And then I like reset the, uh, the surge protector, like that's powering a bunch of stuff in my living room. Um, but then, yeah, I saw some lights were working. I was like, that's weird. So I thought I was going to be out of power for like a couple hours because that's been happening pretty much all weekend. Penny in your closet? <laughs> no. From the block? <laughs> I'm, not, I'm not that prepared. All right. Now, 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 Russ, we also had a neighbor who lost a tree of lightning, right? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. L- let me, um, we'll do this. I'll start the story off. And then when you enter it, you can take it over. Okay. All right. Whatever. We're going to play uh, storytelling tag. <laughs> so when I was playing my illegal game of D&D on um, Saturday night, I believe uh, we ended kind of early. I, I ended up getting back here at like midnight, like 1230. We pulled up in front of the house. Our neighbors weren't here. It was weird. Whatever. We parked and uh, there was water in, in the gutter. Like it was like a stream of water. And it, it was almost like, was it raining? And it hadn't been. And it was like, where's it coming from? It was almost like, imagine you have a neighbor uphill who's um, like watering their lawn. Did it not rain at all Saturday? No. Okay. No. And um, there was just water coming down our gutter, which was really weird, especially because it was so hot. So we walk up like one house and we're like, where's the water coming from? And it appeared to just be coming out of the ground. Like there was no clear, like there's a fire hydrant over there and there was just water kind of appearing and, you know, steadily picking up speed, going down the gutter. And we're like, uh, should we call somebody about that? And I was like, it's midnight. I don't want to call anybody. So we, we went to bed that night. Brutal thunderstorm. I think I woke up at four and it was like, what the fuck are we in Texas right now? Nonstop. It was straight up like poltergeist. I'm laying in bed. Counting the thunder with the lightning slept right through it. Did you? <laughs> yeah, you, you've been having all the sleeping problems too. And it's, I, it's comforting. I was laying in, no, you, I need chaos you woke up to at four. You were awake. I woke up at three to pee pee. Okay. Cause I heard you. I and was, then, and then I saw it was raining. So I, I, uh, closed oh, the windows. Oh, good job. You're welcome. I was laying in bed worried about you. Thank I was you. like, Oh God, is Clark scared in there? No. Should I go knock on his door and enter his room and comfort him? Like I have many a night before. Anyway, the next day I woke up early. I forget why. Oh, because we were doing the podcast and I hadn't prepared anything. So I had to go get all my notes ready. And I went downstairs and I was like, it smells like fucking gas in here. I'm like, I don't know. I I thought, what does natural gas smell like? I have no fucking idea. 
So I walk out and I see um, we have a neighbor across the street that I've always uh, I kind of wanted an opportunity to talk to him. And he was out there on the phone. He looked kind of concerned. I was like, you know what? Uh, maybe I'll go get my boots. And I'll go ask him. And I go upstairs and I ran into Clark. And I was like, hey, uh, am I? can you go downstairs and smell? I, I feel like I'm being crazy. And uh, I need you to tell me if there's gas at which, which point you said, man, I could smell it up here. You yeah. want you want to take it over? Yeah, as soon as I opened my door, um, I had uh, it was the Spanish Grand Prix this weekend. I had just finished watching my race, uh, sixty-two blistering laps in the Spanish sun. Uh, very boring race, to be honest with you. Lewis Hamilton <laughs> led the whole time. It was uh, we all knew he would. You know, of course he was. He was the pole sitter. No one's had more poles than Lewis Hamilton. <laughs> A flamboyant so, gentleman. So, <laughs> so Russ is like, dude, uh, do you smell gas? I'm like, yeah. And so we go downstairs and I don't see him, but I hear him. I just hear a, a very blustering, blunt voice. Get your families out of here. There's a <laughs> gas leak. Evacuate immediately. And I'm like, all right. So you you get everybody out of here. I, I go upstairs. Now, my first thought was I need to get my wallet and my keys. Now, gas leak, you can't take your car. I knew that. I was like, I need to get my keys. Oh, really? You did? Yeah, I was like, that's not a good idea. Because I was like, but I was like. I had the same reaction. When I walked out there, also, I've been thinking about this today. Yeah. You know when you just listen to people because they're in uniform? Like, have you ever seen people do that thing where it's like, I'm wearing a lab coat and I tell you to do a thing? Yeah. So I walked outside to talk to that guy. And he wasn't there, but there was a dude. You know, he was a firefighter. We know this now. He just had a blue shirt on that had like the printed on like F, uh, I don't know, SBFD. Yeah. And he was like, hey, get your family out of the house. I went, okay. Yes, sir. And, and no, not questioning. Not blinking. <laughs> yeah. Went back in there, got everybody. And then, yeah, we got our car keys. And yeah. he said, don't start that car. And I went, oh, okay. Yeah. <laughs> and I was like, well, shit. Well, but, and as it turns out, so. This was on our um, cul-de-sac street, and we have, I don't know, probably how many buildings in this whole thing? Probably like uh, 15. Well, we got like eight on our side, yeah. and on the other side, they're all apartments. They're all apartments. Yeah. Uh, so needless to say, there's a lot of people yeah. here. Oh, around 100, maybe? Ur- urban living. Yep. Yeah. So they, they evacuated everyone on this street, and uh, the, the smell of gas is very strong and um overwhelming yeah so so we move up the hill there wait around a few hours uh probably an hour and a half before we get an update uh from the um firemen and um we all also i didn't have time to even get my mask so i can't go anywhere and they they barricaded the streets (laughs) well you know people were we got the fuck out of there yeah we we, were like this building's gonna blow also i guess it's worth mentioning that we didn't know where the leak was at the time, but yeah. it turns out it was 10 feet from our front door. It's directly <laughs> in front of our house. Right there. And you mentioned not grabbing a mask. Well, imagine me. I am a, me and Oksana are a materialist. We've loaded this house up with the shit that we own. Yeah. And I had a brief moment where I'm like, what's the thing? What's the thing I'm going to grab in case this fucking thing blows up? The Boba Cook book? <laughs> yeah, right. And I looked at the Blu-ray. I'm, like, I'm not even going to try. And then I, I looked at the LPs. And I'm like, I'm not really a record guy. Then I looked at the projector and I went, you know, I, I give up. 
fuck it. I didn't grab anything. Yeah. I grabbed my pocket knife. <laughs> didn't even have time to grab season three, part A of Entourage. <laughs> would, would that be the one? That's, that's the one. You know, even that's the Aquaman. Thinking about it two days after, I still have no conclusion. There's shit in this room that I probably should have grabbed. There's shit in my room. Yeah, the Takashi Miike signed audition. Poster. Oh, yeah, that would have been a bummer. And yeah. I, I'm, I'm not even joking. There's shit that, you know, I would lose and I'd remember in four years and just be like, oh, for sure. Fuck. For sure. That's like, how it goes in a fire. Yeah. Remember how I killed my grandparents? Oh, killed your grandparents. <laughs> also, uh, one of um, our ex-engineers, he lost everything he had in one of the fires in paradise. Yeah. So we've been around a lot of people that have uh, things have burned up. Yeah. Also, we should mention there were four fire trucks out here, two police cars. Everybody was really cool. They're just like, hey, just try and stay apart. Don't go back in the court. They blocked off the street. And then after that hour and a half, there's one pickup truck. This dirty white pickup truck limps through a barricade. Like, Who the fuck is this jackass? Oh, PG and E. It was our California hero, PG and E. Cue the Benny Hill music <laughs> as he stumbles out of the <laughs> one overweight, doughy white guy. So, it- so two things I, I want to bring up uh, before uh, I want to bring up this, and then I want to talk about what we did uh, to In the kill shadows. time. Uh, and where we went, as yeah. as your parents were gracious enough oh. to provide us refuge. Okay, I wasn't even going to go that far. Um, but so we need to talk about uh, a missed opportunity on both of our parts, where we could, we should have recorded it because I it know. was the most perfect thing ever. And we and we will never have clarification as to where he was going, why he did it, oh, and okay. what happened. I took one picture. Oh, did you? Yeah, but you can barely see. Him. So, Randy, we um, you know our street very well. So we, we get we get out of the street and we go up the hill on Crestmore. Yeah, yeah, just name the street. That's fine. Oh, Doc's in us tight, yeah, dude. <laughs> Crestmore's a very large neighborhood. Also, <laughs> Crestmore's where the uh, the other landmine blew up. Yeah, the biggest natural gas uh, explosion. Two thousand and nine. Two thousand ten. Ten. Yeah. Yep. San Bruno went up too. Yeah, killed like eight people. Yeah. Should not have told my mother that. Oh, shit. oh shit! God, she did not calm down till today. Really? Yeah, I, I, I was like, Mom, I didn't. What are you mean- gonna do? I, there are worse ways to go. If I'm gonna go, just fucking go quick. Barbecue me in two seconds. Yeah, yeah, I'm yeah. down for sure. Um, so we go up the hill, and we, we were just hanging around for probably, and the street's blocked off, so I'm just standing in the street, and um, I see a guy walking up. Towards the gas lake, <laughs> towards the area that has been shut off, Randy, he is carrying a giant propane tank <laughs> towards a gas leak. Past the barricade. Pat, you right down not, into the court. And it's just a dude. I don't know. It was the most perfect thing. And uh, he had a yeah. tank over his shoulder just, and a giant target bag full of matches. And we didn't know <laughs> what's in the bag. Matches. <laughs> We didn't know where he was going, but everybody he passed, they were all alarmed. What are you doing? <laughs> you fucking idiot. Oh, man. Uh, so, yeah. So we, then we go uh, to Russell's parents' house. Oh, and it and started raining, too. We should mention that. That was the only thing that saved us. Had, had, <laughs> had this happened on Friday or Saturday? Oh, we'd be dead. Are you kidding me? It was 95 degrees oh, here. You know, briefly, one, one of the firemen, before he gave us the um, brief speech that uh turned everybody away like we're like oh this is gonna take forever yeah he he gathered everybody he's like hey everybody just stay a little bit apart can you hear me and then he went hey are you recording me 
And it was the weirdest thing because there were like maybe 25 people there. And there were two people on their phone. One of them instantly bashful and just like, oh, oh, yeah, yeah. And realized maybe maybe this. And one was like, yeah. And one of them was like, yeah, but it's not live. (laughs) Okay, dude. And he just got nervous. He wasn't like, you know. Don't do it. He just got a little nervous. He's like, I'm not he a public smiled. Yeah. yeah, he was just like, oh, uh, okay. Yeah, he was a nice guy. He basically just wanted to tell us that uh, they're at the mercy of PG&E, and it could take hours. Yeah. And we, after watching that one dude walk, dude, he showed up in the lamest truck, strolled down the court, kind of looked around. He didn't have any equipment. He, he had one of those like reflective vests that they now, give convicts. I will clean. tell you, it did take him a while for P- for the presence of PG to show up, but it didn't take long for them to bring the excavators. Oh no. They, they were like, yeah. uh, to be honest with you, they, they took care of it and they, they, in a pretty swiftly manner, I might say now they filled the, Randy, they dug two giant holes to get the, to cap off this pipe. Huge. Uh, that is directly in front of our house. Right in front of I literally <laughs> parked on one of them. And it took huh. them, uh, they were filling it to like ten, nine or 10 last night. Yeah. Jeez. Yeah. Oh, and. Um, so this, this whole event took 12 hours. When we were waiting on the street, um, a couple passed us and they're like, hey, where's the fire? We're like, oh, it's just a gas leak down here on, um, I almost said the name, you know, on a mythical street that we live on. Actually, there's really only one dead end street on this. You can look it up if you want to. Come, come hang out. We're bored. Don't, and, don't uh, <laughs> hang out. It's a pandemic. And, and the neighbors, they're like, oh, weird. We, uh, our neighbor's backyard got struck by lightning last night and it, it, it started a fire. And he was like, yeah, I guess there were like five fire engines outside. I slipped right through it. Yeah. Like, oh, okay. 2020. So all this happened on Sunday as we were supposed to uh, record with our guest who we'll be talking with tomorrow. And uh, Randy was actually going to make his return uh, we don't back know. to that Overlook Mountain. It cannot be proven. It cannot <laughs> be proven. Randy, you were coming, weren't you? No, Randy, don't lie. I was going to come this once. Yeah, Randy was going to come. Once? Once you're here, you're going to get infected. You might as well hang out. <laughs> Randy was going to come. Now, we did. Now, dear listenership, was there a slight uh, carrot and stick situation in order to lure <laughs> our beloved Randy back to Overlook Mountain? Yes, in fact, there was. For good reason. Uh, for uh, reasons, um, again, because we care about the craft of independent film and we are respected for our viewership. Viewership? See, I already messed yeah, up. Yeah, I know. <laughs> They're regretting it already. We, I know. We were given. Um, Press could rent. What? <laughs> what? <laughs> Hi, my name is Clark. I talk. Um, Creepy Clark, get we, back in the We closet. were given press credentials. There you go. Uh, for Fantasia Fest this year. Um, so that was a, a great uh, thing for us. And uh, Fantasia kicks off, uh, I believe, the day that this interview airs on the 20th. Uh, this episode airs on the 20th um, that goes on for two weeks. Um, so we've actually already got a head start on uh, reviewing some of the films. Uh, there's a lot of films there, and I probably picked about 27, I think, that uh, were of interest to me. And so uh, we are trying to pound through as many as we can. And so Russell and I believe we're going to talk about a couple here today, Yeah, maybe three. Um, so Randy was going to come and hang out and watch a couple of Fantasia films. We bribed him with film. But I had a syringe ready. It was full of antibodies. I promise you that, Randy. But uh, Randy, we, we still we still got plenty of time. We got uh, we got a couple weeks. Yep. 
and we'll get see you out here. And then uh, I'll tell you right now, there's not a safer street in San Bruno than this one right now. So <laughs> we're, uh, I feel pretty confident that uh, we can get it done. But um, yeah, so stay tuned. Um, where Russ and I will talk about a couple of uh, Fantasia films uh, that we were yeah. able to watch and the embargoes were lifted. So uh, party on, well, man. Yeah, they're, they're kind of staggered. They're not all lifted, so we can't talk about one of them, but we haven't watched it anyway, so no, it doesn't all, matter. Yes. And why even bring it up? <laughs> anyway, let's segue into another tragedy that happened. Um, Madeline appeared on Scary Thoughts. I, I believe it went up today. So what? Our episode will be up. What the fuck is today? Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday. It'll have been live for three days. You should have checked it out by now. Um, more breaking news. Um, Madeline has been murdered. She's been killed in New Jersey. And uh, R.I.P. Marvel. Queens now. What? <laughs> she's COVID. already dead. What? She's in Queens now. Oh, yeah. She's in Queens now. Oh, that is right. She's in Queens. Yeah. With COVID Ke- got her With then. Kevin James. Second wave of COVID. It's back. And she's gone. And uh, it was nice having you around, and um, we'll miss you. Madeline, are you a Kevin James fan? I can't see that being. Hell no. Maybe ironically. (laughs) Maybe she'd like Becky. Y'all need to watch Becky. Becky's fun. I'll watch Becky. Becky's fun. I won't talk about it on here, though. He's got your boy in it? Maybe briefly. That's fine. Um, Joe McHale. Did you check out that Scary Thoughts, though, Randy? It was good. Yeah, I listened on my uh, way home from work today. It was good. She's very polite and articulate on other people's shows. (laughs) <laughs> too bad she's dead and she, 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 can't, she can't bring that new talent to ours <laughs> again COVID is a terrible thing we now know somebody that has been taken by it uh, may God rest her soul you got anything <laughs> no we God we had a lot to cover up we top. could talk about how she's related to Kevin uh, Costner wait no her, what? <laughs> they, are what, you what, okay what's her that? last name who Madeline Kessner oh Kath, damn it that's probably why that bit didn't work last time I tried it. Randy, you should know <laughs> that Russell has been fasting today. Yeah, but I ate before, and I think that was a bad idea. Is that the only time you've eaten today? Yeah, I'm on the raw blow diet right was now. Was dinner? <laughs> you, God, look at what Joe Rogan I has know. done to you. That's fucked. <laughs> oh, um, you by were the way. fasting because of Rob Lowe. Because of Rob- <laughs> I was like, that sounds like a cool idea. He's a reasonable fella. I'm going to try it out. And you know what? Whenever on the, so I'm doing a fast. It's not really, I mean, it's from dinner to dinner. So intermediate so, fasting. Well, yeah, except usually when people talk about intermediate, it's like it's, 12 to 14. Yeah, it's like a time zone that you yeah. can eat. Um, I'll tell you though, today, I, every day that I'm not eating, I feel like I have more energy. I think I use a bunch of energy digesting all the fucking garbage I eat. It's very possible. Yeah. I feel like more mentally aware. I feel like, powerful i feel like i could run for senate for it's sure amazing. and then <laughs> still die <laughs> and then i eat some bread and i want to put a gun in my mouth again and you know uh well uh russ i think this is a good segue into something that i tease to you off air about something that oh okay uh, yeah now randy i i let russell know that something happened in this room today okay i did not in this room I, yes um i didn't want to tell him I, I i was waiting what'd you do i was waiting to tell him until we got on the air now again my first thought is that you broke something i could not i could have shit yourself gone, i have gone i could have gone through my entire life and not told him anything and he would have never known gone cold turkey but because i am the way that i am i have to tell people things when would you break i didn't break anything okay then i, what, I don't care but I did soil something. Your pants. 
I Did shit you? my pants <laughs> during yeah. work today. Really? Now, here's it gets, me the it gets better. <laughs> it wasn't actual poop. Oh, no. It was water. And so it went directly through my pants onto the seat. <laughs> what do I care? <laughs> it just was a giant wet spot of my weird <laughs> water shit. Why did it happen? I, but I, did you shart? Yeah, dude, I, I shart every day. <laughs> I don't know what's happening. Sometimes I'll poop and it's just water and it's not, it's just clear. All right. And it smells like <laughs> regret. It smells like, um, Ren, did you ever fish as a kid? Negative. It smells like pond water. He only catfishes. Okay. It's, yeah, it's, it smells like a dead catfish in a bucket. That's what it smells like. <laughs> you never smelled a dead you catfish? Did you take a, a whiff of it? Of course. Yeah, I figured. I, I smelled every poop I've ever taken. <laughs> like off your thumb. Off of my thumb. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Didn't you? My shit. Didn't you? Uh, you know, um, I realize now that you're correct. You could have never told me that, but I'm happy you did. Thank I you feel so I've much. grown as a person. Uh, oversharing is a disability I have. All right. Now, I know you. we made a blood pact to not make this one go long, but did you want to talk about that podcast still? Oh, I was going to. Uh, yeah. I mean, yeah. See, you know, that's my counter. Yeah. You always bring up podcasts. I, well, I was going to bring it up in the um, uh, the things that I watched this weekend, but uh, we'll, we'll knock it out now. Really just wanted to say that your mom's podcast, <laughs> uh, they did a live event this past Friday. My mom has a podcast? and Yes, yeah, she does. She's, it's great. Uh, it's quite blue. I didn't know your mom was that blue. <laughs> Um, so your mom's house is uh, done by two comedians, Tom Segura and, and his wife, uh, Christina Pajitsky. And uh, it's a great podcast. We've talked about it here several times. Uh, former, uh, our first guest ever, uh, the gross uncle, Grant, yeah, okay. uh, is a big fan. And actually, the last time he was on, talked about how they used uh, something that he submitted to them. A video, I think. And they and, talked about Cobra. Yeah. And yeah. they've also talked about uh, Gothic King Cobra. So uh, on their show, they show it's mostly YouTube clips. And they'll have on guests uh, fairly often. And they also do very long shows as well. Uh, there's and they just comment on weird clips in the internet. Uh, a lot of TikTok videos, a lot of weirdos on TikTok, and um, very gross things. But it's all on YouTube, so they have to edit the thing. Well, during uh, this time, a, a lot of people are doing live events and uh, through this uh, website, which I can't pull the name of right now. But um, so, uh, like uh, Puddles Pity Party is doing a concert on this same streaming platform so you buy tickets for the event and then you watch the stream so that's essentially what they did where they had a live podcast and they hosted uh the video on that as well and then they played uh yeah that's it on location live there you go and uh it was 10 bucks and two and a half hours and it was uncut uncensored chaos for a lot of it and uh he actually brought on his parents it was the first time that, that we uh, he brings on his mom a lot uh charo and uh, really who's from peru wait it's it, really charo no no it's okay yeah that's what he calls his mom and uh and the, the first time we had ever seen his dad now we hear his dad a lot it's the first time we've ever seen him 
And so I was very uh, excited. Wait, hold on. Now, do you do you watch your mom's house? Like, is that a YouTube podcast? So I used to only listen to it, but uh, now I only watch it. Well, how the fuck could you? I Okay, obviously the show seems like it would be right up my alley. And I tried to listen to it. And I'm like, I know there's a video component. What the fuck am I doing? It's 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 better on video. Yeah. I used to not do a whole lot of video podcasts, but I, I have changed that up now. Uh, so I only do video. It's better on video. It that is. will not be de- used to describe our show That's when correct. we make the leap. So <laughs> um, I'm bringing this up. So the, the, the show actually opens and it was live and uh, it actually opens with a couple of weeks ago. They brought on a, a male uh, gay porn star mm-hmm. and he has a special talent, oh. which they talked about. Uh, this gentleman, uh, I think his name is Piers Paris. He can shove his testicles okay. into his butthole. <laughs> okay. And so the the scene opens, the, the podcast opens with them playing horseshoes. Okay, well, don't. When he stuck a giant pole into his butthole. Ru- don't ruin it. Don't spoil it. Are, Are you going to watch it? Yeah, I want to. It, it, like There's you, some gnarly, gnarly things that I couldn't, I couldn't look at the screen. So um, Robin Boogie bougie i believe uh the canadian fellow who does um cinema sewer and they would review it's like bad and bougie bad what oh, ba- oh okay <laughs> show. thank you very much i i thought you were uh dropping some knowledge on me there you confused the fuck out of me no um he put out like a um uh, kind of like a tape trade thing where it was a bunch of the gnarliest shit he came across but he's done volumes of them yeah and i've kind of like I don't know, broken a bunch of people with retardo. Retardo. It's very much three. in that vein. No, you sold me when you told me. It's exactly that. Yeah. And um, so, yeah, had a fun time watching that whole you thing. Find out who your friends are when you put that kind of shit on. I mean, hey, I, st- I stayed up late on. I, I stayed up till 1230 on Saturday oh, night, baby. Damn. That's what will keep you up. I didn't start this till like 945, 10 o'clock. Uh, look at late night Clark, baby. So I don't get it. So it's like they upload content to this thing. And then you the only way to get it is to buy it. Mm-hmm. What, like, did they do it live? Yeah, it was live. Yeah, you see how that says live and uncensored? I know, but I don't see a time or like an airing time. So they aired they aired it at five p.m. Okay, Pacific. Oh yeah, I do see it down there. Okay, yeah. I get it. But it's still up there now. It's still up there. Yeah. So I, I mean, because I I had to do it. I had to uh, watch it retroactively. Why the fuck is it ten fifty three? I have no idea. Probably what? because yeah, the website's got to make their fifty three. Okay, right tax. Now. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. Cool. Yeah, but ten bucks is like that's easy. Um oh man, I had a clip. I don't want to do it anymore. I'm gonna do it anyway. Uh this was a thing I just wanted to talk about this so badly. Because, you know, I've been playing podcast after podcast. And every now and then I, I do a lot of political, but I've been trying to do non film, non political shit. It doesn't matter. Every time it's not a film program. I hear this thing echoed, the sentiment echoed that drives me crazy. And uh, there's an appropriate Jimmy Fallon clip for it. So I pulled it. Oh, boy. I know. I'm not I'm not proud of this. I'm actually here. I'm just going to go. Let's get to some business news as movie theaters across the country attempt to reopen. AMC has come up with a way to bring customers back. Listen to this. AMC has announced that it is reopening its theaters next week and tickets will be just 15 cents on reopening day. Yep. For 15 cents, you can spend two hours in full panic wondering if it was worth it. 
that has been echoed. Like I've heard real people calling just do away with them. Just get rid of movie theaters. Like in a post pandemic world who wants to sit in a room full of people. And I do fucking drives me crazy. I'm like, are you joking? It's completely different. We'll figure it out. Like who's ever sat on their couch and watched a great movie alone streaming just been like, yeah, this couldn't have been better. You know, like this was a perfect experience right we'll, here. We'll figure it out. Now, have we figured that anything out <laughs> in these six months? No. But yeah, you know, I think I think the key to what you just said is in a post pandemic world, not next week. Correct. Yeah. Well, the thing is, you know, this isn't our first pandemic. They're just we didn't have the kind of communication we did before. So nobody could like properly freak out about it like we have. And I mean, dude, who who was talking about it? Um, Oh, man. Cinematic Oblivion. Um, Nick was talking about how he stopped listening to Cracked, the podcast, because they opened up with like, so here's something we don't need anymore. Movie theaters. It's like, dude, Randy, have you been hearing that on anything? Not really. No. You mostly listen to film shit, though, right? Yeah, I, I live in a bubble where that's like all I really listen to. Yeah, but, you know, getting outside your bubble is not fun. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and when Jimmy Fallon, that fucking, he's such a fucking flag in the wind. He'll blow whichever way will make him the most money. And I, it worries I mean, hey, me. Hey, man, the Hamptons are nice this time. Well, you know, he, he's <laughs> echoing a popular sentiment, I think. And it, it yeah. worries me. Oh, you think because he's a television host. That's how I almost thought you were going to say a talented host and I was going to tackle you from across I'm not, the table. I mean, look, <laughs> if you want to take the Tonight Show and you want to take that legacy and you want to play ping pong with Carrie Fisher and Selma Hayek, <laughs> go ahead. Yeah, you might as well be dancing with Ellen. I don't know why I named a dead actress. <laughs> Dance with Ellen in the trenches of war or oh, whatever. God. <laughs> Tim Dillon. Is Ellen on, ever coming back? Hold on. Tim Dillon ripping on Ellen DeGeneres is one of my favorite things. Like, saying she, is, she was running Abu Grave. Yeah. She got Abu Grave in the back. <laughs> oh, man. All right. All right. All right. Well, Randy, uh, why don't you, you shed some light on all of this darkness? Tell us what you saw this weekend, brother. Yeah, sure. Uh, I'll go into a, a little story behind this one. Oh, see what you did there. Randy. So, uh, uh, oh, Kingdom. yeah. Little story. We got music for that? Negative. So uh, this weekend, I, I went to my parents' house in Pleasanton, California. And um, my mom asks me, she's like, hey, have you uh, heard of this horror movie called Death Blood 4? Oh. And I'm like, no, why? And uh, I guess it was in the Pleasanton Weekly, which, which is a, a newspaper that goes around uh, in Pleasanton and the Tri-Valley just that had an article about this film called Death Blood 4 also known as the killer of the nanorobotic blood virus, <laughs> yes. uh, which was shot entirely in Pleasanton by people that are actually right around my age. Uh, the director, Chris DePredis, actually went to the same high school as me. Whoa. Uh, I don't remember him or his name, but he was probably in <laughs> my grade, if not one above me. Now, how many people did you graduate with? I, I couldn't even tell you. I what don't know. What a weird question. 200, 300. I don't know. Probably like two or three. I don't really? know. Really? Maybe. Eight. eight. I didn't really pay a lot of a lot of attention to people in high school. That's yeah, fair. I can't check that checks out. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, yeah, so this uh, this guy Chris DePredis, he um, yeah is from Pleasanton. He lives there currently. He went to film school. 
in Los Angeles and then came home and he started working kind of like a corporate video job. And uh, he wanted to get into feature filmmaking, but um, he hadn't really done anything really like outside of his job besides going to film school. Um, And he got some of his friends and some coworkers together and they shot this campy like B movie. It's kind of like sci-fi kind of horror. Yeah, it takes place uh, in Pleasanton, California. It's very goofy. There is no Death Blood 1 through 3, and this is called Death Blood 4. And the uh, the movie starts off with kind of like a recap of what Death Blood 1 through 3 would have been. All right, yeah. So it's got kind of like a, like a whatchamacallit, a grindhouse, like death proof type of vibe. Love it. Yeah, um, it sounds a lot like Dude Bro Party Massacre, which also was 3. And there was no one or two. Oh, that's right. I never seen it, but yeah, I've heard uh, Cinematic Oblivion talk about it a lot. Yeah, all these genres—they all got tropes, man. That's one of them. Yeah, yeah. Some of RoboCop Three, man. So, Randy, when we—I know—who are we kidding? We're gonna try and get this full in the fucking show. Yeah. Is he gonna remember you? I Ooh, don't know. So I we actually that. interacted on Instagram, so I could—we could easily get him for sure, but. He didn't he didn't say anything about recognizing me or or remembering my name, but who knows what we'll what we'll uncover. It'll be like you're the one that had the fucking gun threat, huh? <laughs> <laughs> like they found that list in your locker. <laughs> dude, that straight up happened to my house. No, school. dude, Randy was the really? one doing sick Ollies in the parking lot, bro. No. I wish. Randy was smoking the No, you weren't. You were straight edge. Randy Yeah, was... yeah what were you doing in high school, Randy? <laughs> oh, speaking of which this movie, Death Blood 4, shot in Pleasanton, California. Some Tommy Wiseau film shot in Pleasanton, California. Yep. Yeah, I told you about it. Yeah, I saw it, actually. It was okay. Yeah. There's another oh. film, a short film, that has not been seen by many, <laughs> in which takes place in Pleasanton, California, and is filmed there, and I play the main character. What? What? <laughs> you reminded me, because you said Straight Edge. It's called oh. The Straight Edge Ninja, directed by my good buddy Kyle Shapiro. He's trying to upload it on the Vimeo this week because I, I saw this movie and I was like, wonder if he still has a copy of that. So he's going to upload it and then hopefully I'll, I'll share it with you guys. Oh, Randy, why did no you never mention way. this? In this uh, I, I kind of forgot about it. I don't know. It's like I've seen it maybe twice, like after we made it. And when uh, did you make it? Uh, 7, something like that. Wow. And it, this was a feature film or short film? No, it's, it's short. short. Okay. But I, I imagine it's probably like 15 minutes. I can't even really remember. Oh, dude. The Straight Edge Ninja. Hey, can we make a like double, like a, a movie back-to-back uh, Clark Little Randy feature? Because you, you were teasing fucking film too. What are you talking about? Last week when we were talking... I think during the interview you were teasing you had um video back home. You were in a play or something? Oh, that's from kindergarten. Okay. <laughs> the day that the day the clowns lost their smile. <laughs> there oh, yeah. you go, yeah. Come on, let's do it. All right, what'd you bring into this? I'm I'm not on film. You know, if I could find <laughs> if I could find um me and two other jackasses, uh the guy we call Mad Max and uh my friend that I've mentioned on the show before, Evil Paul. Yeah. <laughs> Me, Evil Paul and Mad Max used to do jackass shit that was incredibly lame. Did you did you do the jackass thing of like, my name's Russell Fisher. No, this no, is the no. blah blah blah. No. Uh 
no, but we were just like in shopping carts. <laughs> Hell yeah. <laughs> I definitely up. made some of those videos with some of my friends and cousin too. <laughs> really? <laughs> yeah. Where are those? My cousin was super into jacket. I guess I was too. And like skate videos and shit back in the day. And yep. Randy, you I don't know. I'm like 2007. What happened? Yeah, this was probably even earlier. You started drinking. That it's downhill true. from there. It is true. I was doing those videos. I wasn't. I was straight edge. Those was 22. everything, man. Yeah, oh. I wasn't drinking in kindergarten. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but I feel like there's probably still some depression there or something. Oh, please. Yeah, right? When did that start? You should have seen me at five years old. Oh, no. Why? My hair. I looked Asian. <laughs> what? what does that have to do? I looked like a little Japanese boy. Maybe you are. That would instantly make you cooler. Also, do you know the song Turning Japanese is about masturbation? Yeah. I had no idea. <laughs> Welcome to 10 years ago. I know. I had no idea. <laughs> I made it way worse. Damn it. All right. Randy, Deathblood, do you think we'll like it? I think so, yeah. Is that just because you have very low uh, expectations when it comes to what we'll like? Uh, no. I, right. it, I mean, it definitely looks good, considering it was made for 31 hundred dollars it uh yeah it looks good that's actually kind of a lot of money in the low budget world and if you go on imdb and look at the photos it looks like they got some real equipment yeah man so i I don't know it takes a village when you told me i got very excited so we're definitely gonna watch it nice all right what else you got bet uh yeah second one is a movie called uncle peckerhead (laughs) what the randy you watched it i was thinking about it yeah, I did. It's uh, it came out, I don't know, a week or two ago, I think. Um, director Matt Lawrence. It is a a movie about this punk band, Duh, uh, who right before tour they get their van stolen, uh, but they find this other guy who's kind of like this homeless, kind of like creepy, maybe hillbilly type of guy who's got this fifteen passenger van, and they're essentially like, hey, can we uh? borrow your van or rent your van. He's like, you can't rent it, but like you can pay me and I'll drive you. And, uh, so yeah, they, they, they link up with this guy and maybe like a night in the tour. Um, they find out that at midnight, uh, this man, he turns into a man eating demon for 30 minutes every night at midnight. (laughs) (laughs) So it's, uh, it's kind of like death blood for it's very, goofy um kind of over the top but it's pretty fun um the 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 music is pretty good um it's very obviously like dubbed over but i think the band that is like playing the music is actually playing the music like it looks like from the guitars and the bass and stuff that is happening um it looks like they're playing the music but you know capturing live uh sound is you know difficult so you could tell they kind of just like play the track but the music's pretty cool. It's like kind of, uh, it's punky. It's kind of poppy, pretty catchy. Um, but yeah, it's a, it, it definitely, it's like a very heightened version of a, sort of like a punk rock tour. It's definitely shows a little bit of like the banality of like 90% of the shit you do on tours, just driving and being very bored. Oh yeah. Um, then also like, you know, you get into uh, sort of absurd situations every once in a while, or you're kind of like, desperate for a place to stay so you might stay with someone who might seem kind of sketchy um so it gets all that stuff um it does all that stuff pretty well the main character her name is judy played by chet siegel uh she kind of plays like the responsible one uh in the band 
Uh, I always used to call myself the band dad on tour. So she's kind of like the band parent uh, who, yeah, is like the responsible one kind of keeping everything together. So she really wants to ditch this man-eating demon um, that is driving them on tour. And the rest of the band is kind of like, you know, like he's, he's okay. We'll just, uh, you know, kind of figure it out. There's, there's some stuff that they figure out to uh, kind of sedate him at night. Um, but yeah, it's a, it's kind of fun. I would rent it. I think it was like a $7 rental on iTunes. Damn. Um, an hour 40. Does it, does it earn those extra 10 minutes right there? Yeah, actually, um, I won't ruin it, but the, the ending actually went a little farther than I expected. Ooh. Ooh. Now, how, how does it compare to green room? And is that even a fair compar- comparison to make? Uh, yeah, I'd say it's a little unfair just because, you know, Green Room is uh, rather serious. Takes like yeah. demons that whole, <laughs> whole thing very seriously. Um, oh. But yeah, I mean, I can't really think of too many like movies that aren't documentaries that portray punk rock in like a, a light that is rather accurate. Well, that's what I mean. Like, did, were they able to capture like the atmosphere like or does it feel like a Hollywood rock and roll movie? Where it's like, oh, you motherfuckers don't know anything that you're talking about. No, it doesn't feel Hollywoodized, but it definitely feels like a heightened, goofy version of touring with zero money. Man, you watched a couple of cool looking movies. Oh, you just wait, friend. All right. Randy, you got another one? Uh, No, that's it. I don't know if another one that I watched might come up later. So we'll find out. All right. Ladies and gentlemen, I I implore you. I've watched many, many movies. So I'm at the juncture now where I'm picking and choosing. I'm going to go in-depth about one movie. going to briefly scatter a little bit of the information concerning two other movies that then Russell and I um, are sharing yeah. a couple here. <sighs> Saturday. Let's talk about it. It was, let's call it, 90 degrees (laughs) was pretty hot but downstairs it was it was reasonable it was nice and cool upstairs forget about it not happening all right (laughs) wasn't doing anything up here i have some work to do on the computer i've got a project that i had to do for my sister and her one-year-old daughter for whatever reason she wants me to do editing something i had to edit a slideshow for my one-year-old niece she's given me a month to do it i haven't done it yet (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> Need to do that. Wasn't going to do that 90 degree heat. So I, I think decided... it might have been the hottest day on the planet. Friday. Friday day. was crazy. I think it was Friday 130 was degrees in Death Valley. I saw that. Yeah. Yeah. So you're not exaggerating. It was gnarly. Um, I, on Saturday, the first movie I watched, I, I was doing some other work uh, downstairs. So I was only half paying attention to Project Power the new motion picture released on Netflix. Now, I think in a otherwise uh, not COVID world, this this was going to be a theater movie. Is that right, Randy? And Netflix bought it, or was this always going to be a Netflix thing? I have no idea. I feel like Netflix <laughs> snatched it. Uh, Project Power starring Jamie Foxx, Joseph Gordon-Levitt, and Dominique. Oh, we'll go back to her. I forgot. She was good. Dominique. Fishback. Fishback? Ooh. Really? Oh, all right. You give her a dolphin, she gives you a fishback. (laughs) (laughs) 
Dude, wait, is Hayden Pantier really trying to save dolphins off of Japan? Bro, you're about six years too late <laughs> on this. I am. Yeah. I mean. She got busted. She was she, in the documentary. Is she, what documentary? Wasn't it The Cove? Or Black she went fish? out there because of The Cove? COVID? <laughs> you never watched The Cove? The COVID? No. About about uh, the the uh, the dolphin uh, harvesting oh, the in Cove, Japan? The Cove 19. Randy, you saw that, didn't you? No. Guys, what are you doing? The Cove is great. Also, Randy, do you know what song they play to close out the movie? Heroes, David Bowie. <laughs> Hell yeah, that and Jojo Rabbit. That's right. Oh, God. But it's not Randy's favorite version of that is the Wallflowers cover. <laughs> Is that true? It's kind of true. <laughs> it's good. You know what's not good? Project Power. Um, boy, this thing, I mean, look, it's very New Orleans movie. Mm-hmm. They, they, Boy, they let you know this is in New Orleans. Joseph Gordon-Levitt wears a Steve Gleason movie throughout the whole thing. I appreciate that. I thought that was a nice little nod to the city. Um, that for him to wear specifically a Steve Gleason jersey. Russ, you have no idea who Steve Gleason no. is. No. Steve Gleason's got Lou Gehrig's disease and can't walk or speak or do anything. Is riddled. Um, he played uh, special teams for the Saints and then had Lou Gehrig's disease and um, m- uh, muscular dystrophy, and uh, he can't. It's it's bad. He's got. He was able to have a child, um, but he can only <laughs> speak through the l- computer. Wait, he's Stephen Hawking, man. If he's having a kid, I think he's doing okay. Well, I mean, his, you know, Pecker, they, yeah. they got that to work. So they extracted the, the juice out of there. Anyway, can Steve you put his is great. I hope you're doing well. We'll never watch that documentary because I know I'll just cry from start to beginning. And I, from what? From beginning to end. I can't do it. So Project Power, essentially. Yeah, see, there you go. Steve Gleason. Um, there's this pill that if you take it, it, you get special powers for five minutes. And the powers are all borrowed from uh, the animal kingdom. Okay. So uh, the big reveal in the movie, yes, I'm going right to that, is Jamie Foxx's power. Wait, wait, like what kind of powers? Like you take one, you could throw poop like a monkey? No, I wish. Uh, (laughs) JGL's power is he's bulletproof. You spin your head like an animal? I don't know what animal is bulletproof. You turn your head all the way around. JGL was bulletproof. Uh, One... Uh, turns into fire. So it's not necessarily animals, it's just nature. So I guess that's um, one guy turns into a uh, ghost rider, <laughs> essentially. Wait, these aren't animal powers. I know, it's a nature. They're all from nature. Okay. Because the, the reason why I say animal powers is because that's part of Jamie Foxx's very powerful Damn monologue. Damn I was like, you know where we get these powers from is the animal king. That's my Jamie Foxx uh, <laughs> voice. It's very good. Being complimented on that. Um, and he said that he got his from the pistol shrimp because the oh. pistol shrimp is the most powerful animal in the universe because it oh. vaporizes the water around it and it eviscerates everything within its vicinity. Uh-huh. So and that's what he does. And that's the big reveal of how they defeat everything. That's fucking um, dumb. It, it's not a good movie um, directed by the uh, duo uh, that gave us catfish. And they oh. also ruined paranormal activity Four. Oh, dude, now I kind of want to watch it. Which also, to speak, uh, Randy has been uh, visiting uh, that franchise for the first time. Paranormal? Yeah. I watched the first one last night, and then I watched the second Purge film, because I'm uh, getting into the Purge films. Don't do that. The Purge is no bueno. You know, I don't know. I never watched Purge 2. I I hear it's the best one. 
Russell, I think both you and I would agree that he'll get more out of the Paranormal franchise than the Purge franchise. I don't know. Paranormal activity kind of falls in the um, slasher tropes of like franchise building. Where like one is, you know, groundbreaking. Two is just more of one. Three, they do something interesting. Four is the worst one. Five, they wouldn't even name it the same thing because it's so different. But the, yet the marked ones, it's great. Yeah. And then they go ghost dimension where it's 3D. And if you only can see it that way, it's good. But if you can't, it's garbage. It's it's difficult. I think um the purge is at least um got a lot of money. Although I will say, I don't think there's a purge film as bad as Paranormal 4. Paranormal 4 is really bad. <laughs> Paranormal 4 is really, really bad. It did not stop Ghost Adventures from uh, lifting that bit of the uh, the infrared Xbox yeah. thing. They The Connect. Yeah. Oh, and uh, they used it to catch ghosts. I don't know. It's it's a cool idea. Uh, Project Power is sleeper Did not care for it. Another movie that I did not care for. <laughs> Is from director David Iyer, The Tax Collector. Now, you may have heard some things about The Tax Collector with uh, a particular cast member. As everything he does, everybody's got to talk about it. Of course, I'm referring about our brother in Christ, Shia LaBeouf. Now, Shia LaBeouf is in this as I'm not sure if he's supposed to be uh, Mexican or not. It's sort of unclear. That sounds on brand for David Iyer, though. Yes. Because if you watch Harsh Times, um, what's his name? Christian Bale. Christian Bale's also playing like a white Marine dude who's trying to be a Latino. Yeah. So it, it all is centered around th- this um, Latin gang who also deals with um, black gangs as well. All the gangs. They deal with all the gangs. All the colors. <laughs> um and essentially, um, Russ, can you scroll down so I can get the other actor's name who's the main character? Uh, Bobby Soto and Shia LaBeef play Shia LaBeouf. I always say LaBeef. Uh, shout out it's to It's a bit that True has never Grit. failed. True Grit. Thank you so much. <laughs> uh, so LaBeef and Soto, they go around <laughs> and they, like a dinner. they work for, guess who plays their boss? George Lopez. Oh, hell yeah. Plays it straight. Um, he's not in the movie. I think he's in the movie for two scenes. Um, I, so yeah, th- these uh, character names, dude, creeper. Yes. So got a so, bone so, venom. So Shia LaBeef, <laughs> uh, there's a character named Negro. Um, so Shia LaBeef shows up. His name is creeper. He's yeah. supposed to be the scary one. So these guys, Bobby Soto and Shia LaBeef are, um, they are known as tax collectors. So they work for Jimmy Smits, who is the Federal brother, government. who is the brother to George Lopez. And he is known as wizard. Oh God. And they don't, they don't speak to wizard. They only speak through George Lopez to wizard. And you know, they're, and they're, they're the scary guys. They go out and they're taxing all these gangs. Because like we can provide extra protection for you, you give us thirty percent of your last score. How how does that even work? Well, so Russell, the, I'm the... going to tell you right now. I watched the entire movie. I don't know. Well, it sounds like they're the federal government for tribal communities, which are gangs that exist outside of the law. Yes. So if they were going to collect taxes, I imagine that they would be implementing a law or some sort of structure that all of them would abide by that they would only enforce. They enforce with fear, because. Uh, Shia LaBeef's character is supposed to be the craziest person ever. We see his, uh, that's why it's supposed to be. His character <laughs> is giving nothing. 
Okay. People are talking about how bad he is in this. He's not bad. He's just giving nothing to do. He's supposed to be the scary guy. He does nothing. This, it opens up. We see his character introduction where this scared gangbanger shows up. He's in Shia LaBeouf's like, do you know who I am? Oh. And he's like, I heard you were the devil. He's like, I just may be. End of scene. Oh, I hate it's, it. It's so, it's, God, you, it's you so gotta trite. Earn it. Bobby Soto does a great job in this. Uh, because the the movie turns into him, it 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 devolves into this. What can outshock the next thing? Let's murder his wife. Let's murder if his anything, kids. If any of it's shocking, no, it's just frustrating. Well, I mean, you, know, you see George Lopez's head in a cooler. Well, do you care? That made me giggle. Have you cared about any character? No. Okay, then it fails right there. Yeah, it's not good. You know, um, and there's supposed to be a twist at the end. We all saw Sicario. Twist. You know th- that movie is built on characters of earned position. Like all those characters have kind of like lived-in experiences that we're there for. Yeah, and it really paints a good picture. And when shit happens, you're you're there. And you know what I fucking hate? Mm. I hate it when they tell you through exposition how how terrifying a villain is, and then you get one of those moments where it's. You know, uh, the example I like to use is two people walking on a beach, but one of them's holding an umbrella and then they trip a little and some sunlight hits the other person. So they shoot him. Yeah. And it's like, oh, wow, he's so evil. Yeah. And it's like the only thing I want to do is like roll my eyes and like, fuck you. And uh, yeah, I don't know. That's what you made this whole movie sound like. Yeah, it's not good. Uh, <laughs> out of a possible 100 tomatoes, it only collected 18. Well, that makes me want to watch it. That's that's exactly I why I did watch it. I was keeping this money plane train going. <laughs> like this could be this week's money plane. Um, yeah, I would call this a circular film to some degree. They cut corners. Okay, Thank you, so <laughs> you want to explain that All again? Right. Um, so uh, the movie that I do want to talk about the most here. Oh, okay, <laughs> <laughs> those were just the teaser movies. Um, is a movie that uh, we'll go ahead and break this. I teased this a few weeks ago. Did not get the name of the movie as uh, these car- as um, the uh, production company of this film declined an interview with us. That's their loss. Thank you very much. Referring to Boys State, which um, premiered on Apple Television this past Friday. Um, As soon as I saw this trailer, I knew this became my most anticipated movie of the year. Uh, So Boys State is an actual event um, that I attended as a Mississippian in 2004. Uh, This is uh, an event that happens every year by the American Legion. Uh, in order to promote uh, the judicial um, government upon high school girls and boys. Is that what it's really doing? Yeah. You're supposed to give uh, an intimate look into the structures of how the government is run. Okay. but And, it, so, and, and inspire you to run for local government? Or, or just have more, uh, A, to raise awareness, and, and yes, also in, inspire uh, politicians. And as part of the... Um, the intro here, uh, they actually showed like Dick Cheney attended this. Okay. Rush Limbaugh attended yeah. this. Cory Booker attended this. So uh, all, you know, all great patriots yes. right there. <laughs> Clark Little attended this. Ooh. So you have to get sponsored. Um, and um, so I, I had to go. It, it looked good on a uh, resume for college. So we all know how that turned out. I went along with 
two of um two two other people from my high school uh went um as a matter of fact i actually met some friends of mine in college who also attended that same boy state so we would talk about boy state often mm. what my biggest takeaway from this movie and yes i'll talk about the movie but um <laughs> my biggest takeaway from this documentary is that i remember nothing from my boy state time you blacked it out because i remember i did run for office and I was elected as supervisor of my county. Ooh. Because I think that was the lowest thing that I could run for. Okay. And I won. Um, I don't remember if I had to make a speech. I think maybe I did. It was, uh, it was only for my city, and that's everyone in our dorm. So in this film, it, this takes place in the Texas uh, boy state uh, part of that. And they have over 1,000 kids. We probably had maybe four to five hundred for the Mississippi State. Okay, um, I or would say bigger than your graduating class. <laughs> oh yeah. So and uh, th- this takes place in the state capital of Austin in Texas. Ours was done in Wesson, Mississippi, which is a community of seven hundred people Ooh. in a community college known as Capaya Lincoln Community College. <laughs> it was nothing to do. It was an awful time. And my and when I went to Boy State, I had. Um, I looked like a ghoul because I had uh, poison ivy. Oh, yeah. did it help you run? It didn't really <laughs> pop up until the last few days. And then I woke up and it leaked all over my bed. Did you have to come up with like slogans? So you're divided. As soon as you get there, you were divided up into three political parties. Okay. You were either a nationalist, uh-huh. you're a federalist, uh-huh. or you're an independent. Okay. And I was a nationalist. Of course you were. And explains that um, tattoo. And then I was also elected to the uh, senior committee for the nationalist party. So I was in all of the important meetings. I remember that. I don't remember anyone's speeches. I don't remember who ran for governor, but I do know this. Um, <laughs> so there was a big controversy Uh-oh. in my boy state. The guy I went to high school with, and I, I won't say his name. Go ahead. Because I'm not a fan of his. <laughs> he ran for governor and lost. Okay. But the guy who won governor, he gets a straight shot into Boys Nation. Oh. So two people from Boys State get to go to Boys Nation. I think it's two. The governor gets to go, and then someone else they gets elected uh, by the senior council there. Oh. The people running Boys State get to, cho- get to choose who's going to Boys Nation, and that's a huge honor. Whoever donates the most money. And I know that because uh, the guy who went uh, went from my high school, he went to Boys Nation in a very scandalous thing because the governor gave up his spot so that this guy could go. Oh. Because this guy, let me tell you something about this guy. This guy is the smoothest talker. Oh, no. Pretty sure he's running a low-rent cult in Mississippi right now. Oh. Yeah, not a fan of this guy. What's his name? Not, well, I want to follow his Instagram. <laughs> <laughs> I think he does. Maybe I'll be moving out there. Anyway. So he went to Boys Nation. I remember when he got back, he was telling me how he hung out with James Carville. Okay. And you're like, cool, dude. Dude, I was very jealous. James Carville's tight. All right. All right. Anyway, Boys State. The, this movie succeeds because it is a character study. Now, this is a very difficult documentary to do because there's a thousand people there. And that means there's a thousand different stories that you have to uh, to find out. And I believe from what I saw here, um, now naturally would have gotten this information from the directors, but they refused to speak to us. So I had to look this uh, 
through ulterior motives, ulterior information. The there you go. I know. <laughs> it's hot in this room, man. They had 17 cinematographers throughout this whole thing trying to find these stories. And for the most part, they succeed. The the kids that they find um, have all their different journeys, and we, we got the good, the bad, and the ugly. Mm-hmm. We really hit all the, the markets there. The thing where I, I wish more we got more out of the story is more of the structure of Boy State. And it really, not necessarily what purpose that it serves for these young men, but really the breakdown. I would like to get uh, the point of view from the, the guys leading Boy State. Um, and then, you know, understanding of, of everything, because uh, the big thing is for the governor's race is that it, it's, there's, there's elections all week long and the big buildup is for the governor's race and they've got primaries and all the things and, you know, and, and we got to sit in and the state capitol meetings and got to hear, you know, interesting, um, speeches from all politicians, the governor, we have the state treasurer, so it it is a good experience, but uh, I think that I don't remember anything from this is because I've repressed it because it I just didn't care. I did not want to be there, and the guys who were really into it scared me, <laughs> and they kind of scare me in this documentary, cool. uh, especially this guy you see here, Rob, um, who blatantly says in the documentary later that um, he's lying to get votes. Cool. And... Um, <laughs> Yeah, he's like, you know, I, I'm actually pro-choice, but uh, this is a pretty conservative room, so I'm pro-life today. Yeah, yeah. and he was trying to run for governor, and um, I highly recommend this. Now, this is a lengthy hour and 50-minute documentary. Flies by. Flies by, and, and frankly, I, I didn't want it to end. Um, the main character this follows is a, is a young uh, Mexican kid named Steven Garza, who was an idealist. Uh, Steven Garza is uh, one of the few left-leaning gentlemen as um, here as you can imagine that uh, a political gathering in Texas. You got uh, a lot of uh, a lot of a lot of reds, not a whole lot of blue. Steven Garza is one of the blue, and uh, he was actually um, the governor-elect uh, for the his uh, party. And so we watch his story, and uh, he's he's probably got the biggest arc. That we find, and uh, there's also Ben Feinstein, who um, is... Uh, That's a political he's name. Got, he's got no legs, oh, and uh, <laughs> boy, th- I'm going to tell you right now. He could use that to run. This, oh, no pun intended. This guy, he is going to run some dirty campaigns in oh. his future. He's just got it. It takes and, no and, legs to run a dirty campaign. And there's campaign. a great character named Renee. Um, who they try to unseat. It's, there's a lot of drama in this. I highly recommend, man, th- this movie eats up. Also, Randy, uh, this was a uh, collaborative effort between uh, Apple TV and A24. Do you have any idea how much they bought this movie for? No idea. $12 million. Jeez. They bought this documentary for $12 million. I think it's doing okay. I really think Apple TV is going for it. And uh, if they if they keep doing quality films like this, uh, you know, all, all the power to them, because uh, I, I thoroughly enjoyed Boy State. Randy, it's worth uh, it's worth a re-upping. Yeah, I think I might do that. I believe the new Sofia Coppola movie or something is coming out on Apple TV soon. I was not aware. So I might do that around then. Also, Oprah's got a show on there. You can give that a go. Oof. I'm good. <laughs> all, all right. right. 
a ghoul and boy state. Yeah. That would be your memoirs. Yeah. Man. Yeah. And I, I, uh, I tried, they tried to recruit me to go to the army. At boy state. <laughs> They're like, Hey, he's a sheep in sheep's yeah, clothing. The national guard. Uh, I was talking to this guy from the national guard and, uh, my uncle was actually, he's a retired, uh, general in the, in the national guard. And, uh, I was like, do you happen to know, uh, my uncle Bobby Thornton? He's like, Bobby Thornton's your uncle. I was like, yeah, he's like, he's oh, tough. He's God. a tough cookie. It's like, he's yeah. the king of the weekend warriors. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's right. It's true. <laughs> it is true. Yeah. I mean, if I was yeah, do the national guard, or the coast guard, that's what I would go. Be tight. Yeah. I wanted to go. I always said I wanted to go to the air force, but I always knew I could never fly a plane because I'm colorblind. You don't have to fly a plane. I know, but I'm just thinking that's it. I have, I have a friend who did a uh, air traffic control forever. I think he's still doing it. Well, I can't now, do that because I'm profoundly stupid. Well, <laughs> you know, he, he was smart. <laughs> yeah. that, that could be a prerequisite. All right. Russell John. Oh, my turn. Um, well, fuck. You rambled on about these three movies for so long. You're yelling. What, what was the promise you made? We're not going two hours. Oh, we're only an hour in. Yeah. Oh. 20 minutes. All right. Well, everything I watched, I watched with you. You didn't watch anything else? Uh, I don't think so. What are you doing, brother? I was tempted uh, to make you mad. Ooh. Yeah. Now, I also, I thought that I was movie cucking you with the tax collector. Why? Because I was like, oh, it's a low Rotten Tomato score. David Iyer, you, you love Bright. Maybe this will do it. It didn't do it. No, you know, I was going to, um, I thought it might be interesting to run through my uh, D&D related module that i bought are you kidding me i i told you i wanted to make you mad oh my god because okay so i bought uh from the florida transport to uh finland mr raggy i bought one of his new modules uh that's called midvinter did you see when i posted that randy yeah yeah <laughs> <laughs> i didn't know what it was but yeah i saw it it's a module it um basically it's an adventure for uh, Lamentations of the Flame Princess, which is a brutal um, old school clone of D&D. And every, I mean, you know, we could write a module and kind of lift any IP we wanted. Like you couldn't directly do it. And this one doesn't directly. I mean, obviously the cover art and the title are very reminiscent of A24, which um, is why I bought it. Not not a, the biggest fan of that film, but since they blocked us out of Boy State, because I should, you know, we don't know the directors. We didn't talk to them. And now that Oksana has been booking the show, she doesn't give a fuck. She'll reach out to anybody. And uh, yeah, she got all the way up to A24 and they're like, who the fuck are you? And then she did a dialogue with them. And then eventually, you know, uh, they made the right choice. <laughs> And Wrong. kept us away from the film. Fuck them. Yeah. Fuck you, Steve Apple. So, you know, I supported a uh, third party company. Tim Apple. That Shit. made a uh, mid-venter. Now, of course, like Randy, who is a huge fan of this movie, but uh, looked at this book and was like, I don't know what the fuck that is. <laughs> Basically, what it is, <laughs> is if y'all came over and wanted to make a fantasy character in an elevated board game, we would run through it. Of course we would. But it's not like... It doesn't play like the movie. And I think it's just just so as it's an good. I, just as an idea. Well, it's very different. Um here. Uh I'm gonna read a little bit 
from it. it this is just so again this is a rule book that you would buy and then it tells you how to run it so i'll just read a little bit from it and then i'll move on um so under the the column what this adventure is about it says uh well there's a joke it says it's about 20 euros ho 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 i know i rolled my eyes when i read that but under that it says the basic idea of midwinter is that a secret pagan doomsday cult is trying to lure characters into a ritual just like the wicker man which is a, key, a clear shot at uh, Midsommar. I appreciated that. Yeah. The twist is that when what the cult wants, what they really want is to die. <laughs> the cult believes that every 87 years on the winter solstice, a sacrifice must be made to Odin and Eisner so that winter will end and spring will come. Michael Eisner? And, and for, <laughs> no. Former CEO and for of Disney? Complex theory. Here, let me just turn your mic down while I do this. <laughs> and for complaints uh theological bullshit reasons the sacrifice must be the cult itself to this end the cult has arranged for a group of adventurers to visit the village just before the solstice in hopes that the adventurers will go on a full murder hobo so murder hobo is a uh, term when you run a game like you know how we've been playing for like 10 years it's not 10 years we've been playing for like oh god maybe six now it's a long campaign, and if you don't give a shit about anything in the world, you kind of end up with like a long-form TV show where it's just like, oh, we show up at a place and we murder everything, and then we move on. That's where the term murder hobo comes from. Where in the game that we've been playing in Adventure Conqueror King, I've built the city. I'm getting political. We spent a long time trying to figure out the fallout of a uh, marching an army to this one keep in the last game we played. You built a city? Yeah, there's On rock and roll? Actually, that you you said it. Nilo wanted a cursed guitar. One of the things it could do is play that song, and it would actually increase the speed yeah. the city was built. I hated it. I hate those kind of jokes. Dan is not opposed to them, though. Um, yeah, so this whole adventure that's a kind of like bait and switch of uh, Midsommar is laid out. like So all the maps I posted on Instagram, it looks just like the layout, Like at least I imagine from the mise-en-scene of the film there's bears in here there's uh weird rituals my problem with this is that it plays as a uh, guide to running npcs so every character in that town is kind of fleshed out and they tell you how they would react so as a dm you'd have to role play it like like if you murder like like if clark little was a character yeah and and the the for whatever reason the players decided to kill you fucking cool ass character they would have a line in there so it's like when clark dies you know say that and a lot of it's like i accept your gift because it's all a hint so we're basically doing like a a murder in louisiana kind of thing you know like a party game yeah. i don't know it's interesting it's um madden's better well you could probably do that with madden too they have kfab uh pro wrestling tabletop games i back in yeah no they're cool Anyway, um, because I didn't have my own film, I just wanted to briefly run through that. I'm sure it's more confusing now than it was before. <laughs> now, you said that there's a lot of similarities between this game and uh, the film, Midsommar. Well, oh, no, it's a bait and switch. I understand. Yeah. But did they also include the worst murder-suicide of all time? Well, so there's a lot of tableaus that you can run into. Um, the party playing this game doesn't realize that there's a timer. Because the cult wants you to kill them at a certain time. Yeah. So if you are poking around like you inevitably will, you can run into shit that is like, 
you know, a tableau of like, oh, they're shoving this guy in a bear carcass. Yeah, so there's weird shit, and yeah, it tells you how to play it. All right, Randy, you want to give it a go when you come back over here next week? I'm good. Is there uh, <laughs> is there pubic hair or period blood in it? You know, I didn't read through the whole thing. I don't think so. Um, Lamentation of the Flame Princess, though, is that game that I, I've mentioned before that they would put under the counter at a game store, which is weird if you imagine that. So, Why? like, if you go to, because there's shit. So, he wrote a book called, um, Carcosa, which is all about it's a it's a sandbox game. So it has a full map. It's got all the details to run this land. Isn't that from season one of True Detective? Carcosa? Carcosa. Randy confirmed that. It Not might. Sure. I think it's a Lovecraft thing. So it could be. Yeah, it's possible. Um, but in that so in that book, he really wanted to make being an evil wizard taboo. So he details rituals that are like, you have to rape you know, children or something just like kind of a lazy, deplorable thing to do. Yeah. But it's like, if you want to summon this demon, you have to do this thing. So a bunch of people got mad and they're just like, Oh, I can't buy that book. There's a bunch of fucked up shit. It's like, dude, yeah, that's what you're going to this guy for. He's the unearthed of a uh, tabletop. Games. Oh, okay. That's the best way to put it. Also a lot of beautiful art, a provocateur. Yeah, no, that's the best way to put it. Um, anyway, I did watch movies this week. All of them were with you. Oh, do you want to go into Fantasia or do we want to do the in-world camera one first? Oh my God. I forgot. It's fine. Then let me just do it. I'll just run through it. I know. Yeah. I totally forgot. So, um, God, we watched a lot of movies this week. You watched a lot more than I did. Um, so on Friday before we, uh, watched Drag Race Canada, we pulled up a new um, in-world camera film called Spree. Uh, I am not going to try and pronounce that name. Do you want to try? Nope. It's you. Eug- wait, wait, wait. Eugene Katlarienko. Nope. Katlarienko. Katlarienko. I, I'm good with that. Katlarienko. Anyway, um, so here, I'll just read what it says on IMDb. Thirsty for a follow. Kurt Can Kurt Knuckle is that's not his name. Kurt Kunkel Kunkel Knuckles from Flapjack. <laughs> I know you've never seen that. <laughs> Kurt Kunkel is a rideshare driver who has figured out a deadly plan to go viral. So imagine uh, he's the Uber killer. We'll just call it that. He he puts cameras all over his car and is live streaming them in a desperate attempt to get followers on um I don't know Twitch. I, I guess Twitch would be the most appropriate, even though it kind of feels like YouTube or Instagram Live. Yeah. In the film, now I sort wrote, of an amalgamation of all of those. Um. Now, because we both had work earlier, I didn't really think much about how I wanted to approach this either. So I'll just uh, I have notes that I took during the film. Uh, one of the things I walked away from the best comments I've ever seen in a film. Now that's a weird thing to say, but we watch a lot of in-world camera. And there's a lot of phony faux live stream. And I, you know, when I watch a lot of live streams, I watch Cobra. Cobra right now thinks that he's uh, doing um, voice acting for Cartoon Network. Um, Everybody on Reddit is trying to tell him that he's believing maybe the biggest troll ever. And I've learned a lot about lol cows. Have you ever heard that term before? That's what King Cobra is. And um, how their lives really get fucked up from people tapping on the glass. And, uh, 
I, I watch comments. That's what I love. I love watching live streams and just seeing what all the fucking idiots have to say. This film did a really good job of, of capturing that because it's chaotic. There's no rhyme or reason to it. And then a lot of them are just emojis. And we've watched a lot of live streams and there's, there's always a voice, you know what I mean? Like you can pick it out or you can see the, the equation behind what they're saying. This one, I, this is a weird thing to ramble on about, but I think it's super important. Pay attention to it. It's a big part of the movie. Uh, also, in every fucking found footage that we watch that has a live stream element, they always have the most unnatural um, growth, fan growth. Like, it's always like one, two, ten. Yeah. A hundred and twelve. Ten thousand. Yeah. A million. And it's like, whoa, that is not real at all. Yeah. This film does a really good job. It really does. It does a really good job of like making that feel real. Yeah. Cause I, I was also paying attention to that and I, I did appreciate Dude, that. How many times have we gotten a movie where it's like you know, one thing ha- like, oh, I cut my throat yeah. and then it's like, oh, well, there's a thousand. Well, people. the reason why is because I, I do think in this particular instance, it played a very important part with the narrative. Oh, yeah. It felt real. Yeah. It, uh, because that that was really the driving force for things to uh, escalate. Yeah, I mean, online content, it's fucking weird. And I think you really I think it takes a mixture of having fun, being consistent and I don't know, being active. Yeah. And um, they did a good job of showing somebody struggling with that. It also I don't know how true it is because I'm not a teenager growing up in this time but it it totally felt like it was expressing maybe those anxieties anyway i'll try and i'll move on uh quicker here um this film had so uh clark's got me into comedy recently um mostly stand-up comedy too it only took a decade forever and i i still won't even i i still wouldn't tell people i like comedy i just i really enjoy that form you're getting there and i'll tell you this film had both great and awful stand up and oddly enough there was there was a bit somebody hosting was, were they hosting the event kyle mooney is in this kyle mooney did a, like one bit and it just fucking killed it was great yeah and then it ushered in this character that i fucking hated now who who is she on here sashir zamata from okay. uh saturday night live oh really yes she's a comedian yes as is Kyle Mooney, Weird. who was from Saturday Night Live. Oh, okay. I'm not an SNL fan. I uh, gave up on that when Mad TV went away. And oh. <laughs> big Fire I'm, Marshall Bill fan. I'm huh? a, a big Bobby Lee guy. Yeah. <laughs> I love that. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, she plays a uh, a stand-up who has recently become Insta-famous. Except, I don't know. What is the app they're using? I don't know. Doesn't matter. I know he's on spree when he's driving around. I thought it was Instagram. Is it? Okay. I think they say Instagram. Okay, maybe. There is, okay, Unfriended, the one of the things I love about that movie, all the platforms are real. They're on Google. They're using Apple products. This one, I think, made some shit up. I know spree isn't real. Anyway. They also had a second ride sharing thing. Oh, they did. It was a fake lift. Yeah. Yeah, I can't remember either. Anyway. um, Scooters. The Jesse Adam character is so fucking boring she comes on and she's pretty good but instantly you get like oh whoever wrote this movie loved that character like they're untouchable everybody in the film fucking likes them they say all the right things they're they do no wrong 
and they're not fucking funny. Their stand up was this like this weird message about how phones are ruining our lives and we need to be unplugged. And she does a literal mic drop. It which, was a Ted talk and it was, it was uh, a Ted talk. It was preachy and it was not funny. It was not funny. And, um, it, yeah. it was terrible. And the thing is, uh, she killed as an actress though. I was like, man, I wish they would have written her a better character to play. I liked her in the movie. I just, this was my problem with the whole film is that I did not like the story. The eh. script did not do this for me. I'll tell you right now, Joe Keery, uh, the kid from Stranger Things yeah. who plays uh, Kirk Kunkel. One of my favorite performances of the year. Oh, dude, I loved good. him in this. He was really I good. I absolutely yeah. loved him. I just wish that the story was better. This, I, again, you know, I, I, loved, I love what they did with the mixed media in this. Using um, CCT footage yep. and things. Um, I thought that was a little sloppy in in some areas. Now, uh, while we're on that topic, again, I feel like every fucking week I'm mentioning this Brian De Palma split screen. Like, I love it. I this film went fucking bonkers with it. They had multiple cameras there, cutting a bunch, and it started to feel very heavy-handed. Like, oh, they're really tailoring a narrative here, which is counterintuitive to a found footage uh, to, to capturing that verisimilitude. Yeah. Yet they kind of, I don't even know if I want to, you know, I'll mention it because if you're listening this far, it doesn't matter. Um, at the end of the film, they addressed that. And I really like that they did it at the end and not the beginning. Because, you know, when, when you're kind of in limbo and you're paying attention to all this shit, it's kind of distracting. But I only complained out loud at the end of the film. And then they literally explained why. And I went, oh, um, I'll shut up now. Like it was perfect. Um, the multi-camera thing, it kills again when there's so many things to look at. It kind of, you know, even though we're hyper-focused on everything and we're aware of everything in a camera and we love to pick apart gore, it just, I, it feels more natural with more cameras going at one time. The kills in this were terrible. Now, they, they in a horror setup, kind of like, oh, what's a creative kill? I thought those were kind of cool, but uh, I agree. They felt very dumb. I, they fell flat. They're actually one of the problems with the, the film. I, you know what? I loved this movie until our first passenger gets in the car. Oh, okay. Yeah, let's talk about the mythical racist, too. <laughs> That's what I'd like to refer to him as. It's kind of like when you get the mythical Indian or like the mythical black character, and they're, they're kind of like hyper stereotypes. Yeah. Dude, this guy, he, well, we're in LA, this right? alt right, you know, incel. Yeah, but he's kind of like the urban legend of what a racist is. Like he's 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 aware and he blends in. But the minute he thinks like he he hears a dog whistle, yeah. he opens up and he's just like, right on, brother. Let's go to the clan. We got three thousand waiting. And you're like, yeah. what the like, fuck? Then he picks up his phone. And he's got like just the American flag. Yeah. That to me was offensive. I'm like, OK, so what if you like? If you like this country, you're a racist now. I mean, I, clearly that narrative is going around a it's lot. It's just lazy. But it, it's lazy and it did nothing. No, no, but it did nothing. But uh, that gave me a dog whistle for the rest of the movie. <laughs> I know. So, oh, I this know. is where we're headed. And essentially we did. And then it's this douche gets in the car and then that's where we meet uh, Shasir Zamata's character. But Man, she's not bad in it. Like she's not some no. like. So again, she's very talented I, actress. You know, she said nothing. No, no, I, I didn't mean that way. I yeah. meant she's not bad as in like an overly woke, weird character. And I realized I should clarify when I complain about things being woke, 
I mean, corporate woke. Like, it's almost like when Macy's comes out with a transgender line of clothing and you're like, who made that call? Because I think that's the white dude that you all hate. It just doesn't come across as genuine. No, there's nothing genuine. Yeah. And it's this forced narrative where it's like, oh, you guys are into this right now. So we're going to do that. Yeah. I'm telling you, man, I, I really didn't care for this movie. The only takeaway is Joe Carey, man, kills it. And. Again, one of the bigger highlights of this movie is David Arquette. Oh, David Arquette. Who plays Hell the yeah. dad. Dude, I love David Arquette. All right, I'll tell you this. He was good. Dude, he was good. Yeah, he was fun. He played exactly what I wanted him to. to like, yeah, Kind of like a, he's a washed up DJ. Deadbeat you know, DJ dad. <laughs> Dude, I... You know what? Um, Misha Barton shows up. Frankie Grande. I'm going to tell you right now. Had no idea that was Misha Barton. If Terrell wasn't in the room yelling that it was Misha Barton, I don't think I would have known. How could either. he have known? He it looks <laughs> nothing like Misha. It looks like that woman ate Misha Barton. That oh, well, we it, it looked like. Um, and I don't mean that she's overweight. It's just when we know Misha Barton from the OC, she may have been the thinnest woman I've ever oh, seen yeah. in my life. No, she looked like she finally had some. Now she burger. looks like a human now. Yeah, no, it, she looked healthy. She just she looks look- great. I just never <laughs> would have known it was Misha also, Barton. Also, Frankie Grande was so fucking annoying. I don't know who they were in the back of that car with. There was another girl, um, Kendra Lala Kent. She's probably like some fucking TikTok kid or something. Yeah. But dude who is frankie grande that's ariana grande's brother that was ariana grande's yeah. brother oh my so god so i think he got big off of um uh Vine. big brother oh. i think he was on big brother celebrity or something Jeez. but again i he hella looks like her too that makes he sense. really fucking that's looks wild. like and it was weird and he was like hanging off of misha barton like their oh. kills could have been great <sighs> there wasn't All no right. the kills were the worst part but you know what i Overall, I enjoyed the film. Do you recommend this for Randy? Uh, no. I watched it. You, you watched did? it? Yeah, this is the other one that I watched that I thought you were talking about. <laughs> I, I, I'm somewhere in between. I like. I was watching it sort of late-ish at night, and it was just hot, and then I just had a fan on, and I was watching it, and I was like, oh, this is fun. Dude. But, yeah, it, it wasn't great, but, yeah, I, I like Joe Curie a lot. I had no idea Misha Barton was in this until right now. <laughs> yeah, right? Yeah. Yeah, she was uh, she was the woman riding shotgun. Yeah, she she got up in the front. Oh, okay. Yeah, no idea. Now, what did you think of that bit though? The fucking Kyle Mooney one. So I didn't even realize that was Kyle Mooney oh, either. <laughs> you you're back on the shrooms Ready, or something? It looked what the just hell? like Kyle Mooney. I don't know. I was just like laying on the couch and I had my glasses off, so I Oh <laughs> damn. That felt that hurt. <laughs> Yeah, it's been hot, man. I just had like I've had like two fans pointing directly towards me, and I've like tried to not move for hours. I'm with you. Yeah, we watched this on the hottest day of the year. Yeah, we did. But downstairs where we have the projector, yeah. not bad. And I had just uh, spent uh, an hour and ten minutes at the drive-through at In and Out. Yeah, <laughs> damn. And there was one bad seat in that room, and I was in it, and it yeah. was it was taller. If you sit right next to the projector, it just jettisons all that hot air right onto you anyway um yeah if you're a found footage fan check it out because it does have a unique feel to it it's not a great film though like it's one that i would probably buy and only watch if somebody came over and were like whoa david arquette kyle mooney let's watch i'd be like all right all right uh well russ i here's here's what i I, here's what i'll say because um again we've got 
we've got three more weeks to cover. Um, Are you trying to back out of it? No, no, no. I'm okay. just saying let's choose one. Let's choose one because for us to go through all three, we just we don't have time for it. And I think well, we can save stuff, and you know we'll, oh, we'll have time, and we'll, we'll just be more organized so that we can spread this out equally because we've right. got a lot of films. I get it. I get it. Do you uh, do you want to do in world camera or not? Um. Yeah. Let's now potentially, I don't even want to mention it, but you know, down the road we may interact with these films in another level. Yes. And um. I mean, we could. We, why don't we hold both of those off and talk about the other one? Is it one we watched yesterday? Yeah. Okay. Let's do that. Okay. Okay. That that clearly should have happened off mic, but uh, that's totally fine. No, we don't I, care. That's <laughs> why they listen to the show because they want to know what's behind the curtain in the land of Oz. We'll be right back. I'll tell you. Uh, <laughs> I was in a bar with Robbie when he was shooting his short, and um, he was explaining to somebody our podcast. And he, you could tell because I was right there. He's trying to tiptoe around it. I'm talking about Robbie Smith, our, our good friend. And he was kind of like, cure. he was kind of like, you know, they do, they do a film thing in the interview, but it's not professional. <laughs> and he's like, well, that's kind of why I like it. And I was like, thank you for being so polite there, Robbie. Yeah. What am I? I'm not, I'm not Terry Gross. I'm Terry. All right. E- cool terry colon couldn't think of the opposite Dude, that's of a good name terry colon is not a good name <laughs> <laughs> that's a good name it's like you tore a colon <laughs> so um terry fantasia colon. uh is a great one of the great uh, genre film festivals we have in the world is that right russ when you say it's one of it's one of your you know, premier festivals. That's what I heard when Chris and Lee put a gun to my head and said, "You better go <laughs> next year." <laughs> but uh, yeah, no, we are fortunate to um, have the uh, press credentials for this. As as anyone listening to this can participate in Fantasia this year, as they are going all digital. We can try, yes, uh, because I do think that they are capping it to the the uh, amount of a theater screen, theater room, capacity, right? the one that they would have had. I kind of like that, and it's cheap. Yeah, it's like five bucks or so. So if you have a VPN, I think you can uh, fake it to be like you're in Canada. But I think if you live in America, you can't buy a ticket. I oh, think really? it's I think it's Canada only. But if you have a VPN, oh. it doesn't fucking matter because you could be anywhere. Mm. I know that means nothing to you. Um, they do have a lot of live events that are just free, though. Okay. So I think a lot of their Q&As and stuff. Also, um, who the fuck let us do this at Fantasia? Well, you A24 saw our shit a mile away. Well, see, that's no. the thing. We got we got press credentials for a Fantastic Fest a couple of years ago. Yeah, but they wanted to charge us ten thousand dollars. That's how they go- do it because Tim Leagues got to pay for his second home in you know Round Rock Lake or whatever. <laughs> <laughs> He's in a league of his own. I couldn't think of that stupid area in Austin. All right, anyway, Randy. Uh, Oksana told me that we got it, so I was looking at all of our possible, all the all the films um, that we can review, and this is the one that stood out to me the most, and I was very excited for this. Five minutes into watching this movie, this was not what I thought it was, <laughs> and then ten minutes into this movie, I'm like, okay, now I'm back in. Crazy Samurai Musashi. Um, I will read the. Uh, Summation from the International Movie Database. This film consists of the most famous battle of swordsmen 
Miyamoto Musashi. Beautiful. In this 77-minute, one-scene, no-cut action sequence, Miyamoto defeats 588 enemies, one after the other. There is no room for error, no room for corny or unconceiving moves. Unconvincing. Unconvincing moves, <laughs> I've just been told. That's why we're a team. So, love it. Um, so this movie opens up. I thought, I because I have attention deficit disorder, I have a learning disability, I thought that this was a 77 one-shot movie. Clearly, it is not when the movie opens. And so I was like, what is happening? Do I not know how to read anymore? It was not a good way to intro the film. Yeah. Also, when Clark was like, I was confused. He means he was angry. He went, what? This isn't one. You're like, clearly, it's not one shot. The the first edit. He was like, oh, clearly, it's not. And I'll tell you, there was a weird. Um, We watch a lot of low budget, micro budget. We watch a lot of. uh what feel like high school productions on film. And I was getting a little vibe of that. Like, are they, there's no lighting here. Or like what, like, right. Things felt a little off in the beginning. Yeah. And then when, when we find out what this movie is actually going to be and we enter in the, like, I don't, okay. I don't know our audience out there. You listening. What, what do you think? What do you imagine when you hear a dude's going to kill 588 men? in one shot i'm you know i imagine um a tower and we have a camera on a crane and we're we're spiraling down the tower what movie is that is that ong bak yeah. where, where it's just one long take and there's gags all the way like people are thrown through towers they fall off the edge and we just keep going the camera doesn't flinch big production is that what you're imagining probably yeah now what we get we get like third person camera like we're in a video game over a shoulder and we're in a wood the J- japanese woods and it's one dude uh, our hero who uh we know is our hero because he's not looking at the camera and he's dressed differently than the ton of fidgety men in front of him now i can't I, me and clark were arguing but the combat that followed for the next hour hour 10 minutes whatever I thought was a was a clever game of kind of improv. Like we learn a, a few moves and then we just we recognize the cue and then we play off of them. Mm-hmm. You think it was all like all choreographed? Yes. There was heavy choreography in this. Well, I think there were a lot of cues that they practiced, but I think a lot of the individual interactions I'm telling you once once so All right, so we we should say that the movie opens up with our samurai coming out of a tree it opens up with some story yeah that frankly (laughs) is not important we were not paying attention um and (laughs) the only reason why it did matter is because we were trying to figure out how the fight how what this whole thing would end because i was like well clearly that's why we have this stuff in the beginning but it didn't matter oh what we were really talking about is are we going to turn this off (laughs) this is not what we were geared up for and it wasn't what we wanted and then a cgi butterfly shows up yeah gets cut in half and then we go into what I would describe as um, Ong Bak if it were like micro budget and shot in Sacramento. This movie is two different movies. <laughs> three. It is three different movies because the final scene. Okay. We'll don't say ruin that. anything. Um, 
I have no idea how many extras they used in this. And I wonder what I want to know more than anything is how many times each character died because they're clearly not 588 men and they're clearly having to go back. I'm telling you what, the reason why it's heavily choreographed is that they knew, they knew every move they were going to make as a group, as a group, maybe not, but like, you know, you got to go to point A to B to C to D. Yeah. Yeah. And I think once we get into the village part, there's some very core. You have to be because, yes, I agree with you. When we open up in the initial fight sequence in the woods, there's a giant open area. Now, I think that the only instruction that these guys had was that if you die, die out of frame. Yeah, you got to. You got to stumble out of frame. Yes. And so there is a lot of stumbling out of frame so that you can just circle back in. Now, God, it's hard to paint this picture, but we have a camera over the shoulder of a guy. We think he's using a um, kind of like dense foam katana. Yeah. And, you know, Clark's favorite thing to point out was just how the Foley guy must have had a nightmare experience. Are you kidding Between- me? <laughs> it was nonstop Foley work. Well, imagine- and then in the end, they threw in a thunderstorm. <laughs> I'm like, the th- they can't give this guy Dude, a second well, off. Even all the, think all the footwork. Because, so to answer your question, um, <laughs> how many times can uh, 25 fit into 588? Because I think we had, what, five boss characters. And then yeah. we had like 25 dudes who were shuffling in the background until they got up front and then died and then tumbled off a screen and then ran into the back. Yeah. Now- that would seem like a rude thing to just, you know, say like, oh, I'm talking shit about their movie, except you could literally see it a couple of times. And again, you would think these would all be bad qualities. Yet I found it incredibly endearing. Oh, absolutely. Also, this movie made me it. Dude, the lead. It was like he was on a treadmill. It's like you're watching this dude. Unbelievable. And th- that they were very smart about it. They they were very strategic in how they gave him his breaks. And so uh, I don't know if it's strategic. It was. Yeah. I mean, they okay. threw in a fight between these two other guys. So, okay. Who was going to cuck the other one's wife. Except, you know, it's like, oh, I fought off. all. The- I killed all the guys in the forest. I walk up to a building. I move over a fallen bookshelf and I grab the water bottle. It was like, how do you know there was water in there? Yeah. And it's like Oksana early on was like, oh, it's kind of like a video game. And I was like, what are you talking about? It's not like a video game at all. And then. You know, 20 more minutes in the movie, Clark's like, dude, this is totally a video game. And I'm like, yeah, like, like literally there were like checkpoints where it's like, oh, There's the checkpoints f- and boss fights. Dude, the fighting's done. I get my water. I uh, don't drink any of it. Spit on the sword. I spit on my hands. I spit on the blade. And then I, yeah, spit it at the camera. I don't know. Yeah. And then, you know, at the like third checkpoint, he gets a new sword. It was a fucking weird movie. It is weird. It was really weird, but you know what? Kudos to them. I was so proud to watch this movie after a while because I was just, I was so happy for them. They pulled it off. It's a crazy feat of what they did. You know, I wish we had a more active camera, though. It felt like it was a handheld. I think there were like, there was a unit of three people. Mm -hmm. I think we had like a boom guy and like a spotter and a camera operator. And they're really just backing off or walking forward the whole time. We don't get any dynamic an- angles. We do. Well, I mean, there's towards no- the end. Do we? Mm-hmm. I don't think we get like an overhead or like a still frame. Like there are moments that they hit, but there's nothing that really breaks the kind of monotony of uh, yeah. 
murdering 588 people. Also, it's kind of weird when there's like no blood, except there will be a dead body on the wall and then they'll zoom in on him and he's covered in blood. Yeah, they the, the first practical effect had to come in <laughs> 40 minutes into the movie. Yeah, probably uh, because it, uh, the rest was just uh, had to be CG blood splatter. But uh, oh, dude, fuck cg blood by the way i'm with you (laughs) it was fucking bad yeah but again i don't know i feel like once you once we were in it and we knew what we were dealing with yeah it was like it's hard it's hard not to be on board with this movie again when you when you have a sentence when you when your pitch is this movie's pitch you you go in with certain expectations and uh, once you get comfortable within the realm of the movie, when you're actually watching it, you can't help but like it. It is an infectious thing, and I, I really, really enjoyed the movie. Now, the final scene, yeah, it, the third act, the third. Well, it's almost like if making a movie were a video game, and you had an experience bar, and you were leveling up. It's like doing that one fight scene. They learned so much by the end of it that the third act just felt like a hollywood movie because it was so polished it was and that, that's really all we should say about it but uh so polished and uh but in every way yes the the way it was shot the fight choreography and the fight everything chore- yeah it it actually do you think it hurt the film i don't know if it hurt the film i don't know if it helped <laughs> i mean it was fucking cool though like if, oh, if they were gonna yeah. try to make a part two it'd be like okay do more of that but it just didn't feel like the movie we just saw well at all so if you're following along narratively it's a pretty impactful moment because you know it's interesting except honestly when we were confused right off the bat we were i don't even know if hardly paying attention can describe how little like it's a subtitled movie and we weren't even looking we're just like are we turning this thing off what are we doing no we never had that discussion i literally did i didn't with you no, you did. I did. I said, no. well, are we turning this off? What are we doing? I, no, no, no. I think you went on your phone to try and find out if it were no, actually. I think I was trying to get all the gas out of my brain, which we had oh, breathed in. <laughs> yeah, maybe we just, it was all hallucination. Uh, but no, uh, Crazy Samurai Musashi, uh, check it out. I, I, I enjoyed it. It's a, it's a strange movie, man. But um, I, I applaud uh, for more of these to be made. This was a, this was a hoot. Yeah, if if you're like a um, highbrow critic, don't waste your time. I think Randy would probably get a little bored in here too, but um, it's fun. I don't know. I I think look, you have to have an appreciation. It's for almost this like a challenge because because <laughs> the entertainment I got from this was, and I don't mean this to be negative. I don't mean this to be negative towards the movie at all. It wasn't towards the plot of the movie. It was the technical aspect. I of know. It. I was like, how are they? I was just trying to follow everything. So it became that sort of became a game. Did you come with us when we went to watch that Woody Harrelson movie? No. Lost the live one? No, I was I, but, I had gone to the live King of the Hill. Reunion. Now, is that fair, though? Like when you're watching a live performance because you want to watch them trip? Sure. But this is one fight sequence. Yeah, but they could have filmed it a number of times. But they didn't. D- they didn't cut that? any corners in this thing, man. This well, is no, not a circular I mean, film. They could do a take one, a take two. Oh, you mean yeah, you yeah. mean rehearsals? Yeah, yeah. Oh, they clearly Russell. That's cheating, though. If you want to, how is a, that cheating? If you want, well, I mean, just if you're coming, no, you from, have to rehearse, man. But if you're watching it for a catastrophe, you're doing yourself an injustice because there ain't going to be one. That's not true. 
it's very possible. But dude, you have to, you have to have a story. You have to have the the jumping part. You're doing a lot you, of pantomime. You got to have your lily pads. <laughs> you yeah, got to jump the lily pad. We got to jump the lily pads. Yeah, I get it. And uh, it, oh, I, th- there was clear choreography in this. Film. Oh yeah, yeah. And uh, I, I'm, I'm with you in the. Because in the in the first scene, again, we're back in the woods. There's a lot of hopping around. The guys running oh, around never the background, ends. which was fun. But no, uh, it's good. It yeah. keeps it very dynamic and manic. You, you don't know. I think Randy. On. He. I mean, this, this is a three star for Randy. You know, Randy two years ago, I would have said, "Don't bother." But Randy, <laughs> now, dude, you're fucking. You're. I don't know. You're in the mud. You're playing around the gutter with us with Uncle Peckerhead. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Right? I give it a shot. All right. All right. All right. Is that enough? No, I don't know. We did I feel it. like we got 10 more movies that we could talk no. about. God damn. I know. We, we almost did it. Two hours again. All right. So we're going to talk to our guests for 15 minutes. Maybe. <laughs> you know, it's not a lock yet, but I have a really good feeling. They already confirmed. Yeah. Um, just so you know, we weren't lying about that. I have pictures. I'll send it to you. Anybody want? You know what? I'll put it in the show notes. Also, I've been doing the show notes, too. So last week I I threw them all up there. We we put up the two sentence horror story too. So if you want to read what Creepy Clark said earlier, uh, it's up there. Uh, I'll also put the email of the guy who wrote it, so you can write him all the hate mail. Um, or you can write it to us, and I'll read it on there. All right. So um, thank you all for listening to this portion of the show, and please stay tuned uh, for our interview with director of Followed Antoine Lay. Um, who followed actually showed at our unnamed footage festival part two mm-hmm. last year. Don't ask Randy about it because he didn't show up. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but Antoine was actually there along uh, with uh, producers and uh, he was actors, great. And uh, it was fantastic. So uh, looking forward to speaking with Antoine right now. Uh, so Antoine, uh, I'm Clark and uh, that's Russell over there. Russell, hey, say I hello. met you guys. Yeah, you oh, did. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I was about to bring that up. We uh, God, what was that? Two years ago now. Feels like five. Right. I know. Uh, yeah, we took a trip down to San Francisco. It was a good event. So. Man, we were so we were so glad that you guys. Uh, I mean, the whole crew showed up. It's it was a you guys brought everybody, and it was a uh, it was a hell of a time, and the movie crushed. And we, man, it was just a it was a great time for us as well. Yeah, thank you, thank you for the opportunity. Yeah, we had a fantastic. Yeah, you know, it was one of those things. As soon as uh, we watched Followed, we we just knew it was going to work for the festival. It was just a perfect perfect marriage, man. Ah, awesome! I'm glad. I'm very glad. You know what? But now it's like it, it's this weird it's this weird world we're in now. To you know, the movie's out uh, playing in uh, you know drive throughs and um, you know we, when you make a movie, you you sort of the way that everything works you have an idea of kind of where that movie's going to fall into play right you know you've got all the charts and you've you've got all the people buzzing in your ears about where they think the movie's going to peak and you know then covid hits and your movie's number one at the box office i know right what a (laughs) life is strange what can i say right uh, yeah it's, it's been actually a journey because we 
you know, we actually got, so we finished the film where we finished shooting uh, the end of 2016. We shot for like 12 days. And then it took us like a year, an additional year just to do all of the posts. Because, you know, as you could tell, our film is ultra low budget, right? So we couldn't really afford special effects or anything like that, you know, in order to really complete the project from the post standpoint. Uh, so we couldn't really hire an editor or anything like that. So basically Matt, our genius producer, he actually had to learn. I kid you not. Like he actually had to basically buy the uh, final draft. I'm sorry, final cut. Start reading manual from page one, right? Wow. I mean, he, you know, he never used to work together back in college. You know, we made short films, so he has done editing before. Um, you know, but never anything like this. You know, the scale and it's been literally. It's been uh, when we made Fallout. It was over like 15 years since I last made anything, and it's the same with Matt too. So we last did anything that is film related from the standpoint of really just sit down and do it. So it's been like uh, over a decade. So you know. Credit to Matt to really basically learning the rope on how to edit the entire movie, <laughs> you know, to save money. We actually did that in 2017 while I still was trying to raise additional funds for special effects. Because special effects, obviously, we, we wouldn't have, you know, we wouldn't be able to do that without the equipment and everything else. So that's why it took us into like a year later, into 2018, March 2018, for us to really have the first draft of it done. And uh, by September 2018, that's when we actually premiered over the Burbank Film Festival. So that was, we consider that as the actual date where Followed would first reveal, you know, to, um, you know, to, 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 to the mass. And that was back in 2018. And after that, we actually had several offers from pretty well-known, um, you know, distributors, so basically, you know, we, we could have taken any of the deals and the majority of them came with MG as well, which to us, it was wonderful because obviously when we made the film, it was more like the, you know, we had a limited amount of budget and our film production company, Viscape, was just starting out. So we wanted to make a film with a couple of purposes. The first purpose is to, to prove that no matter what the budget is, we would make a film that is entertaining, you know, that would draw an audience. Right. Number two, it's uh, for me to showcase that, hey, I could direct a movie, uh, regardless of the genre, because, uh, you know, I'm not a horror director, so to speak. Uh, my genre has always been either action or drama, right? I love horror. I love watching horror movies, but I never thought that I would actually make one. Um, so this is basically a, a way for us to showcase, like, hey, we have the talent. We know what we're doing. Give us a subject that we've never done before, which is found footage, which is horror. And we, you know, and Matt, having been never been able to actually uh, do an editing bay or anything like that, he would do it too. So basically, that was the challenge that we made for ourselves. So we were really pleasantly surprised that we got a lot of offers from distributors, of very well-known distributors. But we decided to take a risk. And that is, you know, a lot of the distributors who came to us uh, basically told us that, hey, Due to the film space nowadays, here's reality of it. We're going to put you in theaters, maybe 10, 50 theaters at the very, at the maximum. And you, we're going to run you for like a week or two weeks, but the majority of the business will, be, will come from digital. Right? So we liked it a lot, but on the same token, we're like, hey, you know what? We won all out of this movie from the standpoint of, you know, we basically get all the, the money from our savings and investors and friends and family. But still, the budget was very low. So we are willing to take a risk. We're like, hey, we're going to wait we're gonna, we, because we really wanted to go out in theaters. <laughs> you know, we know there was almost next to impossible. 
So we we decided to take the risk of turning down. Uh, my account was like what five distributors uh, with MGs, right? Well, a tiny little project. So we like you know what, forget it. We're just gonna go ahead and take the risk. So we did. We basically turned them down, waiting for hoping for uh, an opportunity to be out in theaters. And lo and behold, there was a new, uh, uh, you know, one of the per- uh, uh, producers we brought on board, uh, uh, Tom Pettinelli. And Tom worked for Branded Entertainment. And Branded is run by uh, Todd, uh, J. Todd Harris, which is the biggest name in our, you know, in our project. J. Todd is a, you know, producer over like 70-something films. Uh, his, you know, he has anything from studios, features like... Um, Wheelman, uh, Piranha 3D, and all of that, all the way up to uh, Oscar features, which is The Kids Are Alright. So that was his, you know, Oscar-nominated film, you know, uh, The Kids Are Alright. So we got him, the moment we got him to, to be jumping on board is that we even attracted even more distributors. So finally, we landed Global um, Entertainment. So Global, um, what they could do, what they wanted to do is that they wanted to basically launch our film anywhere from 300 to a thousand theaters nationwide, right? That was the plan. Yeah. Uh, with digital, obviously, after a theatrical run. So we were like real in cloud. Now we're like, yay, we're going to be finally in theaters. And obviously, uh, the plan, the date was supposed to be in April and COVID hit, basically, boom. You know, we were all like, oh man, back to the drawing board because guess what? No theaters are open. And then we saw the success of Wretched, which again, you know, uh, part of our team members also knows the folks from the, uh, from the Wretched. And basically, they said, hey, now this is the space to go. So thanks to that, we're like, hey, let's go ahead and do it. So we did. So we released it in theater and drive-in for two weeks. And, you know, we wound up number one, which was really awesome. Our wish is that we could actually be longer in the theaters from the drive-in perspective. Uh, but, you know, the drive-in space is just extremely competitive and to the point that it's like, you know, we really couldn't play with the big guys. Like the Universal, the IFC, they were able to basically cut deals with all those drive-ins that, you know, they could stay there for longer. So we basically had to, you know, uh, to, to be content with the fact that we were only in, in drive-in for the first two weeks. And after that, we had to go back out to the traditional hardtop theaters, which you guys could know. A lot of states are still not open, and the hardtop theater is like a curse of death right now, right? Yeah, uh, for sure. So anyway, uh, but still, you know, still, like, it is a quite a success that we are very proud of. we really happy. To, uh, even if we only in drive-in for two weeks, we really, truly hope that we could do more. Because in reality, is that had we been in there for a longer period of time, we probably would even make it a bigger damage than what we currently did. But anyway, so that's the gist. Uh, that's the gist of what happened to follow. Uh, yeah, <laughs> not complaining. Not complaining at all. <laughs> God damn! Beautifully wrapped up, Antoine. Yeah, thank you. Thank you. <laughs> it's like ran <laughs> through a marathon. <laughs> <laughs> okay, Antoine. To 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 go back a little bit to the beginning of that. Now mm-hmm. you, you you mentioned your film is ultra low budget. Now, when we were programming enough too, you were the puzzle piece that actually portrayed the complete opposite of that. When yeah. I watched Followed, I thought it was completely polished, and it was one of the tighter made found footage films. So it's <laughs> to hear you describe it that way. It so do you live in L.A.? Yes, I do. I I feel like you've got that um. Do, do you have? Do you feel the stigma for making a, a found footage horror film? Do people oh, go like, absolutely. oh, like a Blair Witch thing? I mean, absolutely. Not only that, if you you know, if you look at you know, this is interesting, right? If you look at our IMDb score, 
we score horrendously low, like 4.9, right? Versus if you look at our actual, you know, critics and uh, critic score, like say on Rotten Tomato, we, we, you know, we, we rank really decently. We had uh, 78 right now, 78% out um, off of like 18 reviews, critic reviews, which is good. Yeah. Right. So uh, if you look into IMDb, you looked at, and you would see that 40%, I kid you not, 40%. Of the reviews were one-star reviews. And here's another interesting fact. Half of those reviews came from overseas. Here's the reality of it. Our film was never screened, never left the United States. Whoa, what is that? So how is it that people from all over the world already ranked us really low without having seen our film? And that is where the stigma thing that you talked about came. Right? We actually, because I have an MDB Pro, I looked into it. There were so many trolls, so many reviews. At first, we would try to combat that. But then later on, you know, our marketing director's like, look, guys, it is what it is. You made a film that you made a found footage film that the moment, especially when you have no name, you have, you know, nobody of, of great credentials in your team except for maybe Jay Todd and John Savage, right? So obviously, people are going to hate. That is a must. Deal with it, pretty much, right? So yeah, so I basically came to peace with it that hey, I'm gonna make a film footage film that would receive a lot of backlash, and uh, you know, I had to contend with it. Now, as far as a creative choice and why we made a film footage in the first place, is actually twofold. Number one is obvious reason: no money. <laughs> we had nobody, right? Yeah. So, so we 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 wanted to basically keep the budget low, especially filming in LA, which is tremendously expensive. I can tell you that like 70% of our budget is spent on paying the city. Oh, paying, God. You know, Welcome paying to California. The, the yeah. Los Angeles, the, the, the cops, and you know, just the logistic itself. 30% of it actually went into the real production. The majority of it is basically paying for the cost of filming it in LA and filming it in you know, the two hotels in downtown LA. Right. So that's the reality of it. And so we know that we didn't have much of a budget. But then the second reason why we decided on that as a creative choice is because, again, you know, as a filmmaker uh, that, you know, that basically, you know, no name and everything else. And the fact of the matter is I wanted to challenge myself. I wanted to take a look at a genre that is most, I guess, hated upon. That would be film footage. And I wanted to make it so that. It did not that it did not look found footage, right? That was one of the challenges. We're like, how can we make a found footage film that doesn't that doesn't look found footage? And a couple of things that we looked into, uh, you know, as inspiration was well, the, the biggest thing that we looked into as inspiration was Chronicle, which I love that movie. I thought, you know, that movie is absolute genius, and how you know Josh Trank, the, the director, how he basically leveraged found footage. But he, he, you know, how he's able to actually use different angles is by having the main characters have superpower. And if you have superpower, you can move the cameras around like as if you're on a film set, right? So we figured that, hey, we can try to cheat, a quote-unquote cheat, by having our main guys being vloggers, being professional videographers. So basically, they are film students. They are very much film buffs, right? And because of that, they're able to create angles. They create to, you know, make make everything looking very uh, cinematic-like. And that was the goal, is how to make a found footage film that looks cinematic, that looks something that, say, you know, the Bourne trilogy did. And which, again, that's another inspiration, which is strangely enough that I use Bourne, right? But, uh, yeah, the Bourne trilogy was, was something that I looked at on how Paul Greengrass yeah. 
did, you know, part two and three, it basically made, you know, how he did, how he mastered the art of handheld cameras and making so that it feels realistic and real intense while, you know, while, while basically announcing that, hey, guys, this is a found footage like, but it's not, right? Antoine, so that, that, was- that's a brilliant thing because, uh, Antoine, we, obviously, we're big found footage fans. So that is right. the first time that anyone's ever brought up Paul Greengrass because, yes, he, I love the way his handheld camera, same with Michael Mann, too. I, I think that those two filmmakers are absolutely um, underappreciated in that regard because I, I look, I love a busy camera, obviously. So, um, that yeah, that's incredible. You bring up Paul Greengrass with that, and that that totally makes sense. How that uh, would be a clear inspiration. Yeah, it's it's. It, I just thought what he did was genius. You know, like the born, like you know, if you so if you recall, our film has a pretty big chase sequence, and I can say that chase sequence was a hundred percent inspired by Paul Greengrass's. You know, chases. In you know the Bourne because in, in the Bourne films you see that the way that he does it you know there's a lot of filmmakers out there that would use shaky cam footage right so case in point I would use James Bond right I mean not the latest one I'm talking about uh, Quantum of Solace yeah right so Quantum of Solace to me you know I like the story and everything else right and I know critics really didn't like it uh, but one of the things that uh, that I would knock the film on is is uh, the action sequences. The action sequences of that film is just all over the place, right? That's, again, he uses the same sort of Paul Greengrass filming technique, but it's all over the place. It's because, you know, it's just basically just quick editing, right? It just it, it, it doesn't really make sense. It doesn't really give you that impact. Versus with Paul Greengrass in that Born Ultimatum, the fight scene in the bathroom and, like, the chase sequence, is that he's genius in the sense that he knows how the things connect right so if a person boom get the hit you know get hit in his hand he would focus on the hand so the human mind reacts really quick so we would forget what we see five seconds ago but we only pay attention to the very last image and that's what i learned from that and that's what i try to do with the chase sequence that we had in fall right so paul greenwich deserves all the accommodations and I'm, I'm glad you guys could actually see the connection as well this episode. love it <laughs> I come up with like five questions while you're going, but I don't dare want to cut you off. And it's, oh, it's, um, you know, go ahead. Sorry, go ahead. <laughs> you know, it's, we talked to so many found footage um, filmmakers. And one thing I have to point out is that I think you might be the first one that is solely the director. Normally we have the combo of writer, director, editor. Mm, right. Yeah, so how was it approaching this medium? Like, on the written page, I I imagine it's got to be tough to translate that. I mean, especially when you're dealing with a... We're basically doing the Blair Witch, but instead of, like, rural America, we're in urban America, and uh, we're still kind of doing the same thing where we have a student filmmaker. Well, kind of, except you can be a 20-year-old professional social media guy, and that's your career. Right. yeah, and it's just like the vision. Like, do you storyboard the film? Like, normally, my question for you would be, how much footage did you shoot? But I feel like you're very well prepared and probably ran off a tight script. Am, is my guess correct? Yes. Well, <laughs> uh, I mean, yes and no, in a sense. And, 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 and I'll tell you what. Speaking. So Todd Click, a brilliant writer. He's brilliant, right? So... One of the things that when we set out to do is that we we go to make this a found footage, but we're going to try our best to move away from the found footage, 
right? Uh, uh, so we we wouldn't like during filming we wouldn't even call it film footage in a sense, right? And there's no knock against it because I love film footage as well. I thought, you know, and the thing is that the, as a filmmaker, when I first approached it, I'm like, can I bring something that's new, that's never been seen before in a film footage space? And I thought, you know, Blair Witch Project, um, uh, Paranormal Activity, they have done all they can to really advance the genre. Right. In a sense um, that I thought it was. And keep in mind that before, you know, before embarking on Fallout, I didn't really watch a lot of fan footage film uh, on purpose because I didn't want to be influenced. And, you know, and I'll tell you why that is, that's actually a, a mistake. <laughs> <laughs> I, I wish I did. And here's the reason why I wish I did is because I've been reading a lot of reviews lately and that I, I realized that a lot of the things I use, like the glitchy effect, you know, like all those jump scares and all that. Well, it's been done before, right? And I was like, fuck, I should have really watched found footage films beforehand so that I know these are the things that have already been used. Because now I'm like, oh, man, I'm going to be stuck with a stigma that, hey, I learned, you know, that I basically copied from the well-known ones. Which, you know, in reality, is that the only the only films that I've watched is the basically the Paranormal uh, franchise, uh, sorry, Paranormal Activity franchise and the Blair Witch Project. Uh, um, okay, just- wait, hold on. Let me let me cut you off there because you brought up the an interesting trope that comes up in found footage, and it's mm-hmm. the the glitchy effect. Mm-hmm. Now, I think yes. I think a lot of people feel burned by that um, use of like narrative storytelling, or that it mm-hmm. it doesn't really heighten the narr- heighten the narrative at all. I think a lot of people try to use it to hide editing. But mm-hmm. if you look back to where it originated from, it's actually a movie that predates the Blair Witch. It um it came from a movie, the McPherson tape, and we've talked to their director Dean Aliato, and he mm-hmm. said that he started using the digital effect as a um parallel to Jaws because he said oh. narratively in the film characters might think Jaws was around, but the way that you would clue the audience in and let them know without betraying it to your characters was through the audio. So in, mm-hmm. in, a, in found footage movies that you can tell where people actually like have thought about it or they've looked back to the history, they'll use it as a narrative device. So I think most people just look at it and they, they kind of just shit all over it because of how many times we've seen it misused. Ah, now, I, <laughs> yeah, I don't remember that being an issue in your film, though. Yeah, I mean, the, the, the thing is that I, you know, so uh, obviously when we watched, uh, you know, when I watched Blair Witch as well as Paranormal, again, those are the only film footage that I've seen prior to making. Well, I think I might have seen, uh, you know, a couple of things here and there, but nothing of note, so to speak. And I I was aware of the glitchy thing, but to me, in my uh, the way that I look at it is I actually took inspiration, not from the other film footage films, you know, to use the, the glitchy effect. But believe it or not, from the film Ring, to me, that's still the scariest movie, you know, according to me. Anyway, personally speaking, that's the scariest movie I've ever seen. Hey, I was in the Ring. theater when it came out. People were screaming. Yeah, yeah, like, I did not I sleep that night as a 14-year-old. Yeah. <laughs> there you go. Yeah, I actually had no idea how much I would like it, how much it would affect me. I literally did, couldn't sleep for... I, I just swear to God, a month after. Right? And I thought, uh, <laughs> Gore Verbrinsky is borderline. I mean, not borderline. He is a, a true genius, right? So the thing that I, you know, the, the thing that I picked up from, at least what I'm inspired from, is basically, you know, like how those photographs, right? How the people's faces got all distorted and stuff like that if they get, you know, affected by yep. the, uh, the videotape. So that is where I got the idea for the glitchy effects game. 
not from the film footage film, but from the movie Ring. So I thought in my mind was like, hey, you know what? These guys, if ghosts are real, then ghosts would actually transform. You know, they would actually go on a different energy that we we humans do. And cameras nowadays wouldn't be able to pick up that. And that's why there are glitched effects throughout the film is because anything that has to do with well number one is that we wanted to mix the, the two it's like hey if they are if they have low connection you know and especially when you when you're looking at stream uh live footage and in the very ending then yes then there will be like you know uh static and all of that that has nothing to do with ghosts but there are also you know if ghosts were to be involved then obviously it would actually mess with the footage due to the fact that the energy that the camera can pick up will be you know will be unfamiliar to the camera so that was the idea of why I chose the glitchy effect. And then, and, and know, critics, okay. it, it, and that came up a lot for you in the reviews where people are like, oh, oh great. Yeah. I mean, yeah, I mean, and, and I, you know, and obviously they're critics that liked it a lot. They're, you know, thankfully, their critics also hated it as well. Thankfully, like that, that number is only, right now we only have four critics that hate us versus the 14 that loved us like i you know i'm happy with that but even the one that liked us as well you know they do criticize on the fact that it's not you know that there's a lot of found footage trope that i use and that i you know that there was not enough innovation on certain scares i'm like okay i get it i understand because after follow i started you know after i'm done with everything I'm like all right i'm no longer able to be influenced by you know other filmmakers before me that's when i sat down and went over some of the best found footage movies that i've ever seen that i wish i had seen prior oh, oh, can okay. you, can you know that hey, wait can can you name out. a couple of them for us sure absolutely how house oh hell yeah oh, there we go dude that's crazy that movie the, and, uh, you know, in fact i you know so uh so after i watched hell, hell house i loved it i contacted steve cognetti and we are friends now on facebook dude he's talk, a great guy I contacted him. yeah so i talked to him like dude love your fucking movie dude so then i you know and he i sent him my film he liked my film too so we've been talking all that you know we just you know we just talk and hopefully i'll get a chance to produce one of his new movies uh, later on down in life right my product through my production company but i really That'd be incredible wait, dude okay so cognetti now when you watch mm-hmm. tell house that movie is it's one of those now a lot of found footage they find a cult following in a real life the way he did right where it's kind of yeah. just appears on amazon prime and it's almost like the ring where it's it's like a tape trade kind of where you have to have a friend who's like hey you if you're looking for a horror film on amazon prime look this one up and you look at the cover and you're kind of like i don't know and then you it, it's fucking dude it's terrifying and cognetti didn't want to make a found footage film did he tell you that no oh yeah 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 yeah. he did he did he did he yeah he he told me that at first he wasn't you know like he's because i could tell from you know so if you watch the latest hell house yeah especially the ending which again i'm not sure how other people feel about it i i personally like the ending because it goes to show that Steve Cognetti is not a, a found footage filmmaker. Yeah. Like, rather, you know, and there's, again, there's nothing wrong with being a found footage filmmaker, right? It's just that there are certain things, like even the first Hell House, the, the, the sequence where, I guess, you know, the, the guys are at the field, you know, this field, and they're just talking about it, yep. and the camera like, sway back and forth. That's not a found footage trope, right? That's so that I, it goes to show the film that uh, Gognetti may not have been a found footage filmmaker in the first place. That's just like me, that he wanted to make a movie, period, right? So I'm, I'm, I'm glad you guys mentioned that. No, we had him on twice. Uh, we brought him back on huh? to uh, promote Hell House LLC 2, 
and if you listen to that episode i i remember pleading with him not to make the third one a found footage movie and it was just uh, he was ex- i think he felt obligated to the fans like i gotta see it through and everybody really likes this format and i was like dude you don't want to tell this mo- th- that story though like just get away from it and i'm i'm so glad to hear you uh agree with me on that sentiment Yes, yes, yes. Uh, and, and, you know, and, and like I said, there's found footage is great and all, but on the same token, it's, it's funny that you actually mentioned this, the, the, like, the Hell House 2, because with us, you know, for the future sequels were followed, is that I am really thinking of a way to uh, not do it the found footage style. You know, maybe still pay homage to it in a sense, but I'm still trying to figure out a way to creatively or t- artistically speaking, you know, to make it a little bit different. Um, okay, but, you know, I, yeah. then then I have a recommendation for you. Now there are Here so many there are so many franchises that take uh, the turn. I don't I don't know how else to refer to it. Well, um, the last Exorcism beat me to it. They went great found footage film. It was a faux documentary, and then part two, <laughs> they drop it. Um, audiences, at least in in our group, I felt kind of burned by it. Now, which one is that? Which one is that? I'm sorry, it's the last exorcism. Oh yes, yes, yeah. Okay, I do remember that. Yes, yes, yes. So, I did see the second one. Now part I, part two. Yep, it just it's not found footage, no reasoning or anything, and it's it's weird when you kind of create that dialogue. But now because again, I'm the type of weirdo that um took part in the only found footage film fest in America, but I refused <laughs> to watch rec three because I had heard that they dropped the narrative. Now, uh, f- now like two years ago, the Alamo showed it. They showed, uh, the original rec and then they showed, uh, I think part three later on down the line and I watched it and I'll tell you, it takes place in a wedding and it opens up found footage, kind of like a faux documentary. They're capturing the wedding and then they drop it in the first like 15 minutes and they make like a little joke and they move on. And you know what? I loved it. So I think, I I think if you just give a little wink and then move, like take a step back, I think people will be on board. Actually, you know what? The gallows too did that. And I I thought it was really annoying. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) I was actually going to mention that as well. So, you know, so, so, you know, my producer, man, and I, you know, like we, we've had this conversation. We're like, Hey, you know, well, no, we garner, you know, a following of fans, you know, fans or whatnot. And typically if you step away, you know, they're going to feel, you know, jaded or, or they, they're going to feel that they were, they did not matter in the first place. So exactly what you said as well, we are figuring out a way to basically combine the two that is still saying that, Hey, this is our route of found of being a found footage film. But however, we might make things a little bit different. Again, we haven't decided on yet. And the funny thing that, you know, one of the things that, that our producer says, like, Hey, look at the past. You know, Blair, first Blair Witch, right? Second Blair Witch, you know, when they stepped away from found footage, it wasn't that good. And we also mentioned the gallows as well. So I did watch this movie for, for research. And here's what I came away with. And that is the reason why the gallows 2 didn't work is because, and I'm not even sure whether I'm allowed to say this, but it's because <laughs> I do believe that the original filmmakers of the first gallows is that they were very talented in the sense that they kind of learned the way found footage worked and they wouldn't do it, but then they are definition of a found footage filmmakers in a sense, right? Which is yeah. like how it works. Versus on the, the sequel, Gallows 2, I think what they did was that they tried to make it into a traditional James Wan-like, you know, uh, 
regular traditional uh, scary movie and i think that they just could not really hit the notes and same with the blair witch too is that they could not find ways to make audience care or hit the notes of being you know, a good scary movie, and I think this, so. That's why I had to tell to to talk to Matt, my producer, like, "Hey, dude, the reason why they weren't successful, to be honest, is not because of they stepped away from the found footage because these movies are not are, are not very good." <laughs> now, I mean, like, come on, you know, we gotta, you know, we we, we gotta be honest about it. It just was not very good at no. all. It's like literally just bad. Now, I, I, I watched The Gallows 2 because the minute The Gallows 2 came out, everybody was DMing me. Dude, they made another one. So uh, right. we had a couple of friends over and we watched it. And the thing about The Gallows 2 is there's a jump scare in the beginning of that that worked really well. And then right. it's, it's almost like right after that, we de- there's a departure. And yeah. it, I don't know. I think narratively. So one of the questions I have for your film <laughs> is uh-huh. now playing in a drive-in. It, yes. it almost seems counterintuitive to me. Now, I've always preached to people that the reason found footage horror films don't get a lot of love is because they demand attention. There's a dialogue happening with the camera. It's almost like a completely um, separate character. And it can tell you a different story if you pay attention to it. And I tell people, you can't be making dinner in the next room and have followed playing on the screen. You're going you're gonna to miss something that's being communicated. And... So I've always told them you got to have the music loud and you got to be tuned in, like put your phone away. And I've just, when I heard that followed was going to play in a drive-in, the first thing I thought was, holy shit, drive-ins are open. And the second (laughs) thing was, I'm like, I wonder if that separation is going to hurt the anxiety buildup. (laughs) Right. And, and, you know, and, uh, you know, I had the same idea as well. And the answer is, it is true what you're saying. You know, which is drive-in theaters are weird in a sense that, you know, not like traditional theaters because our film is calibrated, you know, uh, to, to, to play at, an, uh, at a 4K theater, right? Because our film was filmed in 4K. So you, we calibrate it as such. That's why it's pretty dark. But, uh, but, you know, if you actually in a calibrated theater, it would look great. It has a lot right? of depth. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. So, so basically we know that, you know, so number one with the drive-in theaters is that a lot of drive-in, especially when you, you know, if, you, if there's like an 8.30 show uh, when the sun is still out, it's like, boom, you know, like, it's no longer scary, you know, it's, it's, and because of the fact that, again, you're watching a film footage movie uh, that you could barely see what's going on, right? That's number one. Number two is that, again, the ghosts in the movie that we have, uh, the, the ghosts are not very visible. And that was actually by choice. And again, that's another thing that I want to talk about, like how some critics actually hated the fact that they couldn't really see the ghost. And oh, the, shut up. <laughs> Whatever. Whatever. That was the, the, the artistic choice, because to me, is that, you know, I think, and at least to me anyway, and again, I could be wrong, I'm maybe in the minority of this. Uh, so a little bit off track is that, you know, I love James Wan. I think James Wan is a genius. I, I love the conjuring, everything he did. But one thing I have to admit, to admit though, is that, Everything that James Wan does from his scary movie standpoint is that all the buildup is amazing. I'm talking about Edge. Oh, yeah. But then the moment the freaking ghosts show up, it took me out of it. Because if, the, if I could see what the ghosts look like, that they're in makeup, I completely lost interest. It's just weird. I think that's more of a personal thing. No, I, I, no, I think you're totally correct. I'm, oh, so we had um, one of our film programmers was on a couple weeks ago, and we were talking about Host. 
And one of the things about host is the digital distortion kind of hides a lot of details. And I think mm-hmm. it, it turns your audience into a more active participant when they're kind mm-hmm. of looking like, you know, you have to actively look where with James one, that motherfucker, he's got beautiful camera movement and he knows yeah. how to build that tension. You're right. Once the monster's on screen, it's kind of like you get to exhale and it's, it's done. Right. No, it's yeah, all, you're it's like totally right. The, the mystery is gone. You know what I mean? It's like, so it's more, and again, you know, another reason why I made that such uh, creative choices in the movie is because again, we looking, you know, we watching vlog footage from bloggers, right? Yeah. So you gotta ask yourself number one, how reliable, <laughs> you know, is this right? Because we like we look we we looking at an edited footage, right? And that's why there's music and stuff like that. I I did it all by choice. Like, why do we have music? People ask me, hey, we found footage. Why is that music? Well, you know, ask yourself. You're looking at vlogs. <laughs> so yep. what do you think that those came from, right? So that's and that's number one and number two is that I wanted to make this as if it was real. So if it was real. Like, look at the, the entire history of mankind, the people who were haunted, right? Why is it that no one ever has captured images of ghosts? Never, ever, ever, ever in the entire history of humankind, right? There's no ghosts have ever been captured. What you've been, you know, what you've seen is that, you know, silhouette, shadow, weird objects, whatever, right? Yeah, but, but those aren't real ghosts. ghosts. The real ghosts yeah, kill the people ghosts. and then they're not able to upload the footage. Exactly, right? So that is the thing <laughs> Orbs, that I was baby. trying to get at, which is like, hey, you know, and it, it was a creative choice because I, I do remember our producers, and I was like, hey, are you going to show the ghost? Can we, should we make the ghost scarier? And I'm like, oh, I don't know, because, yes, on the one hand, I want to show the ghost. On the other hand, I'm like, dude, we would, if, if this was real, and if these guys are actual bloggers, whatever they see, it could be so quick that it's like sometimes you actually have to pause it and rewind it just to see the ghost, right? Uh, so, so those are all creative choices. And, and again, you know, we do get, you know, uh, criticisms on them. I get it. I own up to it. Maybe in the sequel, I'll try Dude, to make don't, don't take, <laughs> don't take the online criticism too hard. We talked yeah. to, um, uh, the director of, um, the fear footage. And he, right. he said that there was somebody out there who, had left uh, hundreds of reviews on his IMDb just trying to tank his film, having never seen it. And he said the only reason the dude was doing it was because it was a terrible found footage movie and it had a good comment. I, th- I actually believe it was one of our reviews that he was pointing to where he's like, clearly you've made up these people and your movie is trash. So he <laughs> he tried to tank it on IMDb. So you can't... Also, IMDb is not a good scale. Yeah, yeah, no, I know, I know. Uh, it's funny that you mentioned. You know what? I think that uh, that is the same dude that actually uh, tried to tank a movie as well. Because if you look at our <laughs> thing, any great review is the same sort of talk. Like, like oh, these are friend and friends and family. This movie is crap. I'm like, yeah, I don't think you've ever no, got do, a chance. You know, Ricky, <laughs> Ricky. So we t- we talked to Ricky Umberger, and then we were going to intro the show at a film fest out here in the Bay Area. And yeah. we were kind of like, I don't know, man. Ricky sounds kind of paranoid. And then we're yeah. at the d- fucking film fest, and there were two reviews on IMDb that came up before we introed the film, so it hadn't played yet. But they were they claimed to be at the film fest and had watched the film already. And we're like, holy shit! Yeah, he's not joking. It's wild, man. Yeah, it's 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 fucking crazy. There's animals out there, Antoine. Yeah. Okay. Well. Anyway, fuck the trolls. Now, before before we get away from um, the social media kind of like, I don't know if we'd call him a clout chaser uh, type personality. 
Can can you talk about finding Matthew Solomon? Because I I'll tell you, he came out. He he's a a gorgeous man, and <laughs> I I still wanted to choke him. He plays a douchebag like perfectly but yet it's a perfect it's a perfect thing for that uh that youtube personality that you will because antoine russell and i are both uh big youtube (laughs) proponents we're big fans of youtube Ah, but uh his youtube and my youtube are sometimes we we differ a little bit in what we want and i i will watch youtubers that i hate yeah (laughs) i they drive me insane i watch i watch every video they do and they annoy the (laughs) shit out of me and i can't explain it but but Matt, <laughs> you know what I mean? Uh, I actually, well, you know, so so the thing is that I never, you know, prior to casting match or even doing this, I never even knew about the world of logging, right? I mean, I wow, I've already heard of it and PewDiePie and all of that, right? Again, it's that I wanted to, you know, so so uh, when we first made this movie, basically we talked about vloggers, my producer and Todd the writer told me that, hey, so these are the guys that you want to watch for research. And, you know, so what I did was I actually went and I watched maybe two videos of PewDiePie. And oh. I only watched some of its older stuff that had to do with like video game because I'm a huge gamer, right? So I was like, oh, I, 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 I see the charm. And then I saw... Um, was it Neistat? Is that is that his name? I have no idea. I'm not sure. It, uh, it's like it's like it's a really nice guy. It's a really nice, but he, I think he was one of the most popular. He was, I think, he was the original, I guess, uh, instigator or, or or the original person that actually made this whole thing become a trend. And then I also watch uh, two videos of uh, of uh, Jake Paul. Oh, there! Yeah. You, I knew it. Yeah, yeah, yeah it was, I knew. <laughs> So it was like, I honestly, I'm like, okay, well, I, I see what it's only to watch two videos because I'm not, you know, like I said, I don't really, I'm not big into that thing, but I just want to watch to see what the style is like, right? So what I realized is that, number one, yeah, the guy's annoying, but I can yeah. see, <laughs> right? I see, I'm like, haha, this guy is actually annoying, but I, I take it that if I were, you know, if, if I were, you know, downing shots or just high, you know, I may really enjoy what he's doing because it's like, it's like, it's repugnantly enjoyable if that makes sense no totally <laughs> yeah right so i basically watched two video of his and i watched you know and and and, uh, and the, the folks that i mentioned and, and all i learned was that okay these guys they do a lot of quick cutting they use a lot of contemporary music hip-hop and whatnot and they you know and then they just don't give a fuck what they say <laughs> Even like, they're just like hey yeah you know what yeah so what if i you know so what if i offend 10 of you as long as three of you continue to come back and tune in i'm successful right so that's the way that i looked at him like okay well so that is where i should go and that's it right and then i basically stopped watching it because again me as a filmmaker is that i don't want to be too influenced uh you know i wanted to create their own character so basically those are just the trope that i found and i they i you know and i would cut it uh, later on, you know, in, in, in a clip to make it so that Mike, the drop the mic is his own guy. Um, now, as far as the casting is, is concerned, is that we, you know, we found him, like I said, it was it was a self-submission. He submitted, he went to the audition, and he literally just killed it. So when we auditioned, we did not even have a script ready. We only had the concept, not the script. So we loved him so much, the writer started to pick up on his mannerism. Again, the whole character, the drop the mic character, it was all his mannerism. That Matthew Solomon, the actor, he created it all on his own. So Todd, a writer, after you know we did the interview, I mean, after we did the casting, we really liked him. Todd based all of his dialogue, 
based upon Mike's performance. Wow. So that's how we did it. So we wrote the script after we have cast Dude, Mike as the guy. That is incredible because it feels so natural. So natural. Now, you know, at the Film Fest, we were all kind of trading off jobs. And I remember I was working the door after follow played so i only briefly got to speak to matthew on his way out and i think the only question i asked him i said dude do you really do youtube like <laughs> he, he just feels like a fucking vlogger like yeah <laughs> and i honestly i thought you had watched i thought um his character was almost inspired by logan paul because i remember when he did the whole fucking suicide forest thing yeah Right. Yeah, and he, it was like disrespecting the dead, kind of like looking for likes. And I thought you were like tapping into that. Yeah, I mean, like we heard about that before before we filmed the movie, so we we just did research on that, and we, you know, we heard about that. We didn't even watch the video. Like I said, you know, part of the thing that oh, I they pulled to- it. You can't watch that video anymore. Uh, oh, oh, I see. Yeah. I see. yeah. No, it it really made people mad. Really? I gotcha, I gotcha. Yeah, it was, you know, like, just the concept of it itself. I'm like, dude, that's fucking disrespectful, right? That's yeah. Just hearing about it. That's why I never watched it. But the thing is, uh, in our team, in the whole follow team, none of us, actors nor crew, none of us has ever watched anything in regard to vlogging, right? Which is kind of strange because we're making a movie about the whole vlogging thing, but we never even watched any of them, not even Nelson or cinematographer, right? <laughs> it's just like, it's like we embarked it as if it was a brand new thing. It was like, hey, vlogging is new. So the funny thing is that after we watched the movie, we're like, oh yeah, I think this is new. You know, we were, I'm really patting myself on the back and like, hey, it's something that I've done with the whole found footage genre. And then I actually started to watch the YouTube videos and I started to watch other film footage movies. And I'm like, <laughs> I should have watched more for research. No, you you actually kind of landed in the middle of a trend. There's actually a trend yeah. towards social media. I think it's a it's a better reason to have a, a high quality camera, more production, but still kind of do the Blair Witch thing. Now, yeah. I, I have a weird question for you. How sure. old How old is your crew? Like, what's the average age there? Uh, it's about like, uh, I would say Are you like upwards of 30. Late, yeah. Late twenties, mid thirties. Um, you know, I, and well, some of, and of course like, uh, we got, you know, from the production team, like the, uh, yeah, the, the, the UPM or the production manager, those are all, you know, over 40. Okay. Yeah, now, now that would explain why you guys aren't into vlogging. Now, if we got in a room and talked and we're like, oh yeah, you know, kids going to school now for film. They're not talking about film. It's all about content or media. So, I mean, it's a whole new world out there. And we kind of, you know, it came after us. So I I think, though, it really influences your movie in a way to make it more authentic. Because a lot of these vloggers aren't looking at other vloggers. They're just doing their own fucking, I don't know, Photoshop bullshit. (laughs) Yeah, yeah it, it's just, I mean, and, 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 and that's what we did because we, you know, I just wanted to see what the vlogging world is like out there. And I said, okay, quick cutting, you know, like the whole, the way that they edit, the way they use the music and the sort of content material and some of the personality. Like I would just watch maybe 15 seconds of one vlogger and then another 20 seconds of a different vlogger just to see how they similar or dissimilar. And that's all, right? And then, I, you know, uh, we created Drop the Mic as if we like, hey, if this was a real, brand new vlog how do we make them um, you know like we don't want to be influenced by other vloggers we just want to make them um, his own you know vlogging <laughs> personality right so that's so so, so, so that's- 
No, you, uh, but yeah, so you, you succeeded there. Uh, he he really, I almost feel like you could have done a campaign of him doing real vlogging videos, which I'll tell you, there there are a bunch of found footage movies who kind of try to exist beyond the film and mm-hmm. like in reality to like add another dimension. And I haven't really seen it done great. Uh, we talked to a guy, Slasher Victim 666. Uh, that is his Christian birth name. Uh, he, he's kind of doing it in a unique way, but yeah, I don't know. I just fucking he's drop the mic. It. it seems so fucking natural. Real, right? yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, well, we actually thought about, it. we actually thought about doing the whole viral thing, but when it comes down to it, it's, is that, you know, again, we have no money. We have no money. So basically we wanted to, we're like, uh, if we're going to do this sort of viral thing, there's no more money to be spent, but no, we needed to save money for the post, right? So we couldn't do it. Uh, there's number one. And number two, we did try. So for example, if you go on YouTube and you type in drop the mic, there is a drop the mic channel with Matthew Solomon with about like, I think, uh, five or six videos on there. Um, and we, we only have like two of them available. The rest of them, basically we have the little notes saying, Hey, family members that dropped the mic, whatever, uh, has asked that we take them the video. So obviously it's a fake site, right? Yeah. So we did do something like that just in case that there are people that wanted to say, you dropped the mic real. At least when they go onto it, they can find there is an old still functioning drop the mic channel. Just there hasn't been any new videos being uploaded since 2016. Wow. But that's just something that we wanted to tie in. Uh, and the third reason why we decided not to do the whole viral marketing campaign this is real is because it goes back into, you know, the creative choice of making follow. Like, I, you know, people ask, like, hey, why found footage? You know, other than the reason that I mentioned is also because I, I believe that found footage in itself is a genre. It's kind of like the way that you film it. It's kind of like how, you know, Anish, I forgot, I mean, I don't know how to say his last name, but Searching. Oh yeah, Again, yeah. I love that movie. I watched Searching after we done Follow, and we like, oh my god, he's actually doing a lot of the things that we did, with, such as like the zooming into the computer stuff. I'm like, oh my god, he did it too. And most people would probably think that we copied from that, but we didn't. <laughs> now, now hold on. Now I got to stop you there. In Followed, it feels like, okay, now the film's not going to be available wide for another week and a half, and I don't want to ruin anything, but I right. feel like your narrative is appropriate for that kind of forced perspective. Um, with searching, it actually, I always call that, uh, the found footage movie to like get your mom addicted because it's very, (laughs) the focus is so heavy handed. And one of the things like, did you watch unfriended? Yes. Yes. Okay. See now unfriended, you just get that static screen. So whenever she's fucking around on there, you're free to look all over where in searching, it kind of had that forced perspective and it almost felt like handholding and it kind of took me out of it in followed. I will say it does. It has a completely different feel. So no worries there. I never once thought you copied them. Oh, good, 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 good. Yeah, but I mean, the, 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 well, the, 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 you know, um, so I, so when I watched Searching and everything else, it's like, oh man, this is really great. Like, that's something new that I haven't done, you know, that I haven't seen before. And it's just like, to me, movies have to have heart, right? So call it a cliche, but even when it comes down to horror movies, I want, you know, like, I only get scared if I care. (laughs) You know, that makes sense, right? Yeah. If I don't care about the characters, I absolutely, you know, none, none of the scares can actually affect me because of the fact that I just, you know, as a filmmaker, 
I'm more interested in knowing how they made it <laughs> rather than what's on screen, right? So that's why, like, if there's no heart and if there's no character I'm rooting for, it, it loses me. And and what Searching did was brilliant from that standpoint that it made me care. You, you so, know, here, here's another good one for you. Watch Webcast. I believe it's still available. Okay, perfect. It was, it's, it's brilliant, right? It's brilliant. So again, those are the sort of found footage movies that I thought were really well made. Like, or, you know, so this is after fun. Recently, I've just been really watching found footage to see what's out there that I, I should have learned from, which I was too arrogant or you know, too stupid not to do it. But of course, now I learn better to do it now. But I, I learned there's a lot of great, fantastic film, right? Uh, number one, uh, so you're, you're Lake Mungo. Oh, yeah. Oh, sure. Brilliant. Classic. Right? Uh, brilliant. I just watched it. Brilliant. And the, the movie that, oh, I think you guys, um, I got. I, I watched this movie because of your festival, and that is the, uh, the what is it it's called? The Murder or something, Koreatown? Oh, Murder, Death, Koreatown. Yep. Yes, yes. I thought, again, it was brilliant as well. You know, those are the movies that is like, to me, they are the traditional film footage, in a sense. They don't try to step away from the genre they're basically exploiting the heck out of it, and they basically doing it right. Obviously, I have issues with you know with, with you know as a filmmaker, I always have issues. With film, right? But on the same tokens, I really highly respect those those films. Um, well, even the three films you just mentioned: Webcast, Lake Mungo, Murder Death Koreatown. Now they all fall under the in-world camera the umbrella. But dude, they are completely different types of movies. Sure. Like Mungo is a faux documentary. Murder Death Koreatown is the uh, the iPhone footage of a rambling maniac. And then you have Webcast, which is kind of the most traditional, which is weird to think about. Yeah, but right. it's it's more you know it's a handheld kind of um rear window story. And right. so the thing I think that's most interesting is just the way that you craft a narrative while abandoning like the Spielberg kind of um, intuitive camera storytelling that like most of uh, film goers are used to by now. And it, it, I'm getting lost here in what I wanted to say. How much time do we have? Okay. No, I I have to get this back on. I have to ask (laughs) you about the hotel Lennox before we let you go. Cause we're we're getting close to that time. Can you talk about filming in there? It's a great character. (laughs) Yeah. Well, for, uh, uh, well, we never filmed in that hotel. We filmed in two separate hotels. Oh, I am so glad because I Googled the hotel and the first thing that came up was uh, there are bed bugs here. Don't stay here. <laughs> but also that was in, it was in Baltimore. I couldn't actually find one in LA. Yeah. So, well, uh, um, so the hotel is now renamed to stay on Maine. It is currently closed. I'm not sure that they reopened it, but it was closed as of last year, you know, like uh, under construction or whatnot. So we did want to film in there in the first place. Right? So we went over there. We actually went there for research. Uh, we even like talked to the hotel manager, sitting down, basically wanted to make a movie. Obviously, we were turned down because, you know, if you guys watch the American Horror, uh, Horror Story TV shows, you have the hotel season. It is about the same subject, right? Yeah. Um, so it is the same subject when Lady Gaga was headlining it. So therefore, the hotel got a lot of uh, of, uh, of visitors, you know, Lady Gaga's fans and all that to the point they're like, nope, no more, right? So when we got there, they're like, nope, <laughs> sorry, no filming here, right? So we did what, what the Drop the Mic and crew. So you basically part of the story how they actually wear disguises and stuff like that. Believe it or not, that's actually what we did. 
<laughs> because oh. we already talked to the hotel manager and they know who we are. So like, nope, you guys can't come back. But we still needed to research. So guess what? We actually booked our, you know, booked the hotel room. And we came in wearing hats as if we were visitors. So we were <laughs> So we did that. So we did that. We actually tried to venture down the basement, trying to go into the rooftop and everything else. You know, we got stopped by security guards. So the security guard character was inspired by real life because we got stopped by security guard as well. Right? So it was so funny that uh, so we went in there. Uh, so we basically just trying to get the feel of it. So, you know, we heard weird noises that happens literally everywhere. The fill, the, the, the hotel just feels really stuffy and all that. So all of those things, what I did was uh, how I, what I felt, uh, then I would actually put it in the movie. That's when the movie has weird sounds, noises, and stuff like that. It's all lifted from the hotel. So we didn't film there. We filmed in two different hotels. One is the Hayward, which has uh, over 14 floors. That is where you get to see the external and as well as some of the sequences of down the hallway and the basement and so on and so forth. And then we filmed it in the uh, uh, the other hotel, the Normandy, which is the nicer looking ones where you actually see the room. Uh, you know, that's where the room and as well as the character's hallway is where they were at. So filming in that was actually challenging because two hotels has completely different aesthetic. One was 14 floors. The other one has four floors. Oh, and the wow. things are how we, we, we need, you know, especially when the character's running back and forth. We got a mask, right? So when, when the character entering the elevator, we have to use the elevator from the Hayward, the 14th floor one. But when they get out, we have to use the one from the, 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 the Normandy. And the things that even the, the, the hotel elevators look completely different. As well. So filming <laughs> was really tough was really tough because like, oh, wait, so now we have a cam, you know, so now we have an internal shot of that. But when they get out, oh, they, we have to use the other one, right? So it's like, it's, it, was a, it was tough filming from both. Oh, and here, uh, one little fun snippet. Both of those hotels, the Normandy as well as the Hayward, they are both known to be haunted. Okay? <laughs> of they, course. Like, real haunted. The, uh, the Hayward, where we filmed the basement, True story. We went down to the basement, met with the apartment man, with the manager. The manager gave us a security guard so that he could walk us through it. Security guard opened the door and said, "Okay, here, go ahead and go look at it. Uh, I'm not going to give you a walkthrough because I've been here for seven years. There's some weird, freaky shit that happened down here. I'm not going to step foot it." That was scary. Right? <laughs> so the basement where we shot at was haunted for real. So basically, one of for me it was was really unnerving. I actually had to have extras to accompany the actors and all of that because wow. I didn't want anybody alone by themselves, right? And the Normandy was also haunted, but not in the basement. They haunted in the hallway as well <laughs> as the uh, as the lobby, where you know people there have actually told us that hey, in the middle of the night you would actually see a piano playing. Some people have actually spotted, you know, a lady playing the piano, but you know, obviously the lady died like. 40 years ago. <laughs> so, so, like, those are all real stories that we, you know, that we, that's why, like, uh, I think besides the cinematographer, none of us wanted to stay back at the hotel. So, cinematographer, you know, he was game. I was like, yeah, I'm just going to stay here. You know, so that, that, that's, that's, that's the, the backstory behind the themselves. Okay. Now, you mentioned, first off, uh, congratulations. I couldn't tell at all. It felt very seamless to me the whole time. And, uh, uh, and you brought up one of my favorite parts of your film, which is the elevator. Now, uh, you mentioned you're a gamer. I Now, Clark thinks you're inspired or that, that made its way into the script via YouTube and the lady in the elevator thing. 
I happen to think that it's from the video game. Do you know what I'm talking about? No. Okay, well, then we're both wrong. No, because... You... Uh, yeah, that was literally is the only thing that, that... I was only inspired by it by reading, you know, Todd Click, the, the writer. He did research into the whole uh, elevator, I'm sorry, elevator ritual. So he basically sent me links on, you know, things to read. So basically that's inspired by people who have posted online uh, of their experience as they played the game. I mean, sorry, as to play the the elevator ritual, but oh. there was no videos or anything like that that I seen. Now, I it's, yeah, I think sorry, it's based on a girl who went missing. She's captured on elevator um, footage. Yeah, and she goes really? up to the top floor and she doesn't come back, or they find her. Yeah, dead. she was doing like, very weird behavior. She was uh, she was going in and out of the door, creeping around yeah. as if someone was. Uh, oh, D-D-D. oh, you're 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 talking about the actual Elisa Lamp. Yeah, there that's you go. It. That's it. Yep. Yeah, so, so yes. So the Elisa Lam footage is something that I saw, you know, that I saw because it was part of the news. And that, you know, the Elisa Lam footage is actually what inspired us to make this movie in the first place. Because oh. that event is still haunts me up to this day. So that's why I wanted to make a movie about that. Um, so I did see the Elisa Lam footage. And when we did the research, we knew about the rules of the elevator game, be it real or not, right? So that is how we inspired by it. We did see the footage of her doing all the button presses. And from the filming aspect of it is I literally get inspired by how I did it myself. So in other words, is when I read the rules and what it looks like, I basically went back to my apartment uh, complex at the time. And our apartment complex only had like five floors, right? So uh, it wasn't the same. But what I did was I would like 2 or 3 a.m. in the morning and would walk out into the, uh, the, the elevator and I tried to press random ass button. It had nothing to do with the sequence, right? But the key is that I tried to trick myself into thinking that, hey, I'm playing the actual footage. How did I feel? What would I, what would scare me, you know, uh, doing those sequences? So I tried to remember my feeling and basically, you know, have the cinematographer film it in such a way. When we did it, but though we did not see any footage of how we did it, we just got inspired by the actual writing of people who posted online of how it works. Dude, good job. I, it was it was great coming into that in the in the followed. And I, I know when people get to finally see it, dude. It, it's there's a thing in horror movies where when you present rules to like a game and then you break them on purpose and the consequence is a ghost wants to kill you now it yeah. always it always works whether it's a ouija board or um what the what, what else there's uh the new ouija movie had that like jack-in-the-box house there's yeah yeah i that's one of my favorite things and the elevator i only knew it from watching a um let's play guy play the uh, the elevator actual game which you should totally check out there's it's a yeah, vr yeah. game so really yeah good luck with that <laughs> whoa shoot i mean okay so one game that really inspired me like with the head shaking ghost i'm not sure whether, like how big of how, how you know you guys are uh, aware of this game is called pt by oh Hideo yep Kuchino. yeah we know yeah pt yep oh that game scared the living shit out of me now that to me is genius genius Hideo Kojima is genius right the way yep. that he did that is to me it was just all inspiring so a lot of the ghosts that I seen I mean it followed was inspired by the feeling that you know my my terrified feeling that I had when I watched uh when I played that game PT which I never beat by the way <laughs> oh okay D do you own it 
I still own it. I'm, I was smart enough not to delete that because I oh, know good it's, job. It's, it's no longer there. So my PS4 is a, you know, it's a treasure trove. Right there. <laughs> <laughs> no, Clark, you know? people sell their PS4 with that demo because the game is only a demo. It goes up $400. Right, right, right. Really? Yeah. For real? Okay, yeah. No, I mean, I totally would have bought it because it's like, it's, it's totally, you know, I, I love the shit out of it. And I was like, I, you know, it's something that I would come back to. Just when I know, like, you know, in my next uh, uh, movie, because, you know, I, oh, as I mentioned, I'm not a, I was never a horror movie director in the first place. You know, to me, is that my favorite genre are action as well as uh, drama, right? So I'm more of a drama slash action sort of director. I loved watching uh, horror movies, but I never thought I would make one. But after making Followed and, you know, now that I actually dove uh, deeper into the whole you know horror movies uh, tropes or whatnot i really want to make the next uh, you know another horror movie because now I, th- I believe that i've learned a lot it's kind of like how in rg i mean rpgs you know you as a character you've learned experience you can't experience <laughs> i've leveled up man i'm like you know i was like level one and now i'm actually level 999 i'm right <laughs> it's like i'm like dude i have learned so much from making a horror movie that i'm like i cannot wait to make the next horror movie that I think I could combine a lot of things I've learned from other great filmmakers out there to actually put it out. So I can't wait to make another horror film, you know, with what I've learned. Well, Antoine, as, as Russell and I are self-professed uh, luminaries in the uh, <laughs> field of found footage and, and the horror genre, uh, we welcome this notion. Ah, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Oh, uh, another one thing that I actually got off track that I didn't answer you guys, uh, but the whole drive-in and all that. Uh, true, driving is not as scary as if you're watching on your computer, or watching at home. But it has its own unique feeling. Oh, I'm sure. I bet. If you were to watch on your own, like you know, in a very empty driving space, which right now is pretty impossible. <laughs> but you know, I, I I would tell people that I knew I was like, you're gonna watch driving and followed. Oh yeah, sorry, drive. Watch followed and driving. Watch the midnight show where oh. everything around you is darker. Yeah. It is more effective that way. But still, it, the definitive. This, I mean, the diff version of it is to be watching either in home theaters or theaters or by yourself on a laptop with the volume or audio cranked up because audio is a huge part of it. We designed a lot of the great audio sounds that maybe you guys. Oh, yeah, yeah. You, you, I'm not sure that the version we showed in your theaters was it a 5.1 uh, re- like mastered uh, uh, DCP version that we gave or was it a DVD uh, we gave? Well, I'm not sure. But uh, like the new version, you know, what we have coming out on July, I'm sorry, in, uh, September 1st, that should be a 7.1 or 5.1. Oh, wow. Oh, wow. That you should see. Like you could hear what we heard back in that hotel, right? So we could hear noises in the back that you couldn't, you know, you didn't remember. I mean, you couldn't tell where it came from. So, you know, our sound uh, mixers, sound editors, they are genius when it comes down to that. And, you know, unfortunately, driving couldn't really you know really portray that so i cannot wait until you guys get out to 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 watch it in digital this time and, and september 1st and seeing it in its full glory you know hopefully we'll get we, we 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 would have more eyes on it and basically would combat that troll that's been <laughs> you know trying to 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 torpedo any found footage filmmakers as well because i do think that found footage is a it's a fantastic genre if you're doing it right, if you, you know, if you come to it, I guess with the right mindset, which is I'm, I'm treating the found footage genre as a style of filmmaking, oh, sorry, of filmmaking, but it's still a style, you know what I mean? So it's not. But if you go into it with the, you know, with the mindset of hey, I'm just gonna make some money, right? Yeah. Then you're doing it wrong. 
And, and to me, I think those are the movies that are, I basically watch and I'm like, yeah, trash. This, this, this <laughs> piece of the that basically give a real found footage filmmakers a bad rap, right? Because if you're really into it, you're doing, you know, you try to bring something new to the Holy shit. Antoine, we got to have you on. You got to go watch all the Bad Ben movies and come back and oh, review boy. them for us. Anyway. I would become an online troll. Oh. Right? And I don't mind. I, I mean, I don't mind when people are trolling me and all of that. I get it. I, it's, it I'm thick skinned. You know what I'm saying? That's, I get it. It's part of it. You know, so it, it it helps me grow as a filmmaker because out of a ten trolls that I get, one of them actually made a pretty solid point. You know, it's like, hey, yeah, no, I get where they're coming from. Okay, out. You know, I won't basically take that advice to heart and basically try to change what I do, but I can understand that. Hey, if we're gonna do that, how would I make it better? And I think that's how you grow as a filmmaker. And I, I appreciate that, dude. 100%. Beautiful. Um, the Balboa. I think we watched it on a five point one DCP, and uh, oh. Antoine. God, I hope I hope you come back to this genre. I hope you don't feel burned by the online trolls, and I hope you know later on down the line you end up making another found footage films for us. <laughs> yeah, you know, I'm, I'm I'm thinking of an idea I can't share with you guys yet for the follow-up sequel. But uh, you know, again, oh, you guys mentioned Host. I love Host, by the way. I thought it is brilliant. Love to meet with that director. I think what he did with what he got is brilliant. Hands down, bravo. You know. My hat's off to one, right? <laughs> yeah. But, but, but what, I, what it also inspired me to do, it's that it inspired me to know that, okay, there are certain things that, you know, especially during the pandemic and all that, people are just interacting with, with one another via, you know, all the digital space. So, you know, in a sense, maybe I can make a found footage slash non-found footage way. Oh, right? please. It's, yeah. It's, it's in a sense. I'm still trying to figure that out, right? But I'm trying to make it unique because now that I've been able to sit down and watch a shit ton of found footage movies myself and a whole bunch of, you know, a shit ton of other horror movies that I never really watched before. Because, like I said, I'm more of a, I only watch studio movies or like movie, I only watch, you know, movies that critics are really loving and I'm just going to check it out, right? Uh, but now that after Fallout, I, I was able to check out a lot of, of unknown films or you know hidden gems and all i can say is that i experience i'm i've experienced up you know what i'm saying I leveled <laughs> up. so i've been able to see it a lot and i think there are you know there's still some creative spaces of that you know hasn't been touched before and i cannot wait to really try my hands on to see if i can really innovate this time dude antoine antoine are you a big coffee drinker where's this energy coming from <laughs> Oh, yeah, yeah, dude, this is my what? My sixth cup for the day. So, yeah, oh, you my brother, dude, I swear. <laughs> I drink Antoine. coffee, more coffee than I drink. Dude, Antoine, I love you, man. Dude, you're the best. <laughs> Thank you. I appreciate it, sir. I appreciate it. All right. Thank, Thank you. Thanks again, Thank you. Antoine. Um, again, keep us posted on that sequel, man, if it ever comes to fruition, and uh, we're pulling for you. Absolutely. Thank you, guys. I appreciate the opportunity and everything else. Appreciate the love as well, guys. Love you right back. All right. Thanks, man.